0: Coming up on episode 246 of Wheel Bearings, we've got uh, the Hyundai Tucson Plug-In Hybrid, the BMW iX, GMC Sierra AT4X, and Denali Ultimate, and our first drive impressions of the Ford F-150 Lightning. All that and more coming up next. Did you know you can support Wheel Bearings directly? Head to patreon.com wheelbearingsmedia and you can become a patron today. Your contributions will help fund the platforms and tools we use to bring the podcast to you, and exclusives and improvements are already on the way thanks to your generosity. So if you want to be part of an automotive podcast like no other, head to patreon.com/wheelbearingsmedia. This is episode 246 of Wheelbearings. I'm Sam Abual samad From where? Oh, from <laughs> from <Dino's
1: Insights. laughs> I'm like, I'm not missing my cue. You haven't finished.
2: <laughs> from what, where? Uh, where? And I,
1: I am Nicole Wakeland from uh, the Fast Women podcast on Newsweek. Fast
2: Women. And Fast. I am Roberto Baldwin. Uh, this week from Wired, Wired Magazine, the Bible of Technology. Ooh.
0: so let's uh let's let's hear from the fast woman in the group uh
2: first
1: oh i'm first You <laughs> hate it when i'm first it's like getting called on because you sat in the front of the classroom <laughs> that's what
2: you get so. for being a the, an overachiever God,
1: dang it so i <laughs> had you had been a
2: little bit slower would have been fine
1: i know so i had actually you're gonna have to edit this i was pulling up the thing and i just pulled up the wrong thing so i have the wrong information in front of me so you're gonna have to pick someone else wait a second
2: Okay. <laughs> Robbie, I just pulled go. up the wrong one. Oh, this week, or this past week, I drove the BMW iX, their giant SUV. Um, mm. e- their EV SUV. It's never easy to say EV SUV. Or at least SUV, it's not easy for me. EV SUV. S- How about just ESUV? The ESUV. Ooh, ESUV. Electric Sport Utility Vehicle. It is their... You know, they, they, they un- introduced the uh, iX and the i4 same time. I did the drive program for both of those vehicles at the same time. Uh, I've gotten the vehicles around the same time at my house. <laughs> um, so I drove the iX. It is their large SUV. And unlike the i4, which essentially just looks like a 4 Series that happens to be an EV, the iX, you the, from the outside, from the inside, it looks very futuristic-y, you know, that sort of... <laughs> The, the the desire to make sure that your EV looks like it's something different from a gas-powered vehicle. And so that's what they've done with the iX versus the i4. Um, it's sort of, it, it's, they've, you know, they had the i3 let's all talk about the i3 for a second <laughs> Their little itty bitty urban EV, the mega great city car. car yeah that's a great little city car that was super polarizing americans are like eh, it's stupid it's small it looks weird it's, it was you know they just they, made, they built a concept car they're like you know what let's just build that and send it to people see if they like it and some people did, and some people didn't. Um, so with the IX, they sort of still there. There, there, there is a good flavor of that sort of concepty futurism uh, going on in this vehicle. A lot of crystals. Um, I have talked about the little crystal uh, knob for the, and I've talked about the crystal <laughs> controls for the seats. Um, I think when I did the video for it, like the crystal was shooting rainbows into my eyes while I was driving <laughs> around Germany. That's a real thing that happened. When I was like, ah, safety
1: <laughs> issue.
2: So safety the safety issue. issue. Ah, um, what
1: happened? There was a rainbow. I hit a tree. <laughs>
2: a rainbow hit my eye. <laughs> 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 Taste the rainbow in your eye. So um, yeah, so it's 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 a large SUV. It's very large. It's very comfortable. Uh, yeah, I would say it was large and in charge. Uh, if you if you like. Oh, nice. Uh, Yeah, thank you. Um, It has a 105.2-kilowatt-hour battery pack, so it's got a pretty large battery pack. And I had the vehicle with the 22-inch wheels. So the larger the wheels on an EV, you know, the worse the uh, (laughs) the range is. So the 22-inch wheel vehicle, this is the largest, 315 miles of range, according to the EPA. The... uh, 20 inch one 324 miles according to the epa so with 20 inch wheels and then they have the 20 uh one inch and 305 miles i got in the 22 inch vehicle during my test a range of 344 miles wow yeah that's yeah. really good yeah, yeah, yeah. right <laughs> yeah i was very very and and
0: and this, this is going both uphill and downhill, right? Not just downhill all the way?
2: No, this is uphill and downhill. The Bay Area um, is uh, very hilly. The the route I take has a lot of... You know, there's a kind of a steep incline on the freeway. I do 50 miles on the freeway at 70 miles an hour. I set cruise control, and then I do that. And then after that, I drive on some back roads, and I drive through suburbia, essentially. A bunch of small towns, little suburban things, stop and go, tr- you know, just regular driving around town stuff. I figure... That's a good sort of slice of what real life driving is. People drive around, you know, they, they do their 20 miles to work and then they drive around 20 ish miles and, you know, taking care of stuff, going to target and, you know, driving down those, those long, boring suburban roads, that sort of meander around mm-hmm. manicured lawns. Um, so that's, that's how I do my, day range test. I do it for all the vehicles the exact same way I do it in the middle of the day. So there's not a lot of traffic. So the traffic's about the same and, um, I mean, the temperature doesn't fluctuate too much here, so it wasn't, that wasn't really an issue. And I keep the temperature in the vehicle at 70, 70, um, 70 degrees. I don't have the air conditioning blasting. I don't have the heater blasting. And I turn up the, um, the brake. Whatever the, the highest brake uh, regenerative braking is, I'll use that as well. Because I figure once people realize, oh, because everyone seems to like one-pedal one pedal driving, I'll set that up, too, if it has it. But I just put it on the, the highest braking. And not eco, but normal mode. That's how I do my test. Every vehicle I drive, do the exact same test, the exact same route. It's very boring <laughs> because you're just, like, sitting there at 70 miles an hour. People are passing you. They're angry. Um, and, yeah, and some vehicles do really, really well. And some do, you know, Less they'll well. hit the APA or, or they'll be under the EPA. This did really, really well. 344 miles uh, based on a one mile loop, so so kudos to BMW. I think you know overall, a lot of the German automakers, when it comes to their to their range, they're they're taking the, you know they're taking that that uh, that 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 setting uh, with the EPA test. They're just taking like okay, or they're going under. They're like you know we'll take the lower number. And it's, it's almost like Disneyland. Disneyland uh, notoriously would say, oh, it's going to take 45 minutes from this spot before you get on the ride. The reality is it only took 30 minutes from that spot to get on the ride. But because you thought it was going to be 45 and now it's 30, you're, oh, oh, this is wonderful. Oh, they somehow they sped it up or somehow they, it, it creates the, you know, you, instead of being disappointed, you're like, oh, hey, we got there a lot quicker than we thought we would, which is always nice. Um, so I think that's what a lot of German automakers are doing with range, where they're like, "Yeah, we only have 300 and I don't know 15 miles of range." <laughs> and the reality is, they have 320, 325. Um, the vehicle itself, uh, beyond uh, the fact that it's 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 range uh, number, is it's very comfortable. It's very futuristic. It has a new version of uh, I believe it's uh, iDrive 8, which is nice. You know, they keep updating their. Uh, Their infotainment system on a pretty regular Pretty regular clip like every few years They got a new update in there so so good for them on that They have kept the knob um, Whereas Mercedes has removed the sort of touchpad knob circle thing Um, BMW has kept theirs so if you're a fan of that it's still there Um, That area though is all wood So you have like sort of like these little buttons there and my wife didn't know there were buttons. She thought they were just like, "What is all this?" And she's like changing things <laughs> because they don't look like buttons. They're just sort of raised white. Paint. Yeah, because when, when
0: they're when they're not active, the the backlight's off, right? So they they're, they're backlit and they, it shows up through the, the wood veneer, right?
2: Yeah, they have like a like a like a whitish ra- like raised white. It's really it's 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 sort of odd. And once you get used, you're like, "Oh, okay, that's fine." It looks really pretty. Um, it looks really nice. The, like, again, it's that wood sort of like from the i three, and the thing that BMW has been showing off at CES for years, where your living room is now your car, and sort of the organic uh, world. Um, one thing I do not like about the car are the doors. Um, they're just they're they're just too the, the whole idea where you, I just want doors with with like mechanical <laughs> handles. <laughs> Like the push button, like they have it's a it's flat and you, you know you reach under and there's a button you push it and the door opens and you're like oh, okay and then they get out there's a there's a there's a um, a button where your thumb would go on the handle so you hit that <coughs> and that opens the door that's but it's not there's no mecha- there's a mechanical thing underneath or you can find it and you can pull on that and I'll do it but for the most part it's all this electronic like hit a button and then the door opens I I, I just find that just. Is it is the door powered? It doesn't. know it, it won't open by itself. You still like it, okay. it. Open. It'll like open a little bit, and then you push it the rest. Then you of And you the have way. to push okay. it the
1: rest of the way. It's not yeah. going to do all the
2: work for you. It doesn't do all the work for you. But the door is really big, and it's actually kind of hard to grab the handle when it's <laughs> all the way open or all the way closed. You're just like, oh man! And I have really long arms. Look, see. <laughs> um, <laughs> I can vouch. For. I've seen him in person. They're Extremely very long, long arms. For, for reasons that are unknown. Um, and even I was like, man, it's kind of a pain. Like you have to like kind of reach back and pull them to close. Um, and I, I don't know, this, the, the it's too much cleverness for, for its own sake. When we it's just, the mechanic, I mean, the button is doing what you would do if you were just pulling on a mechanical thing.
0: But at least it doesn't fold up into the sky.
2: That's true. I <sighs> <Man. laughs> guess you got that. I mean, yeah, but you can still have those as mechanical. Those don't need to be electronic either. Yeah. Those are. I don't know. Anyway, but the the overall the vehicle it was it was really nice. It's very comfortable. Um, it is definitely somebody for for like a first adopter who wants to sort of show off their EV. Whereas the i4 again, you, you someone could get in that car and they might not even know it's an EV for like the first 15 20 minutes while you're driving them around. If you're driving if you're driving on the street and you see an i4, there's nothing really to you tell could, you. A, you could easily EV.
0: mistake it for any other four series.
2: Exactly. It it is. It, as far as I'm concerned, it's the best four series. Um, but yeah, it's the, whereas the IX is very much like, hey, I'm a little different. And then you yeah. get inside and you're like, hey, I'm a lot different. <laughs> so yeah, the IX for the folks who uh, who are looking for you know a Model X competitor, I would prefer this over the Model X. Um, I've been in the Model X a couple times Those doors are still a pain in the ass Those up in the That's, air How's so, that go? One more time? Up in the air okay. like, the little, like, like the wings of a fountain <laughs> On the wings of love well, well the, the, wings I mean, the, of the range
0: love? you got off of this thing Actually bodes well For the upcoming i7 you know, Which has the same 105 kilowatt hour battery pack It's probably probably the exact same battery pack and I think the same the same electric motors, uh, they're in this because this what about 516 horsepower, which I think is what uh, what they have in the i7. Um, yeah, and BMW when they did the preview of the i7 last month in New York, you know they said it would get about 300 305 5 miles of range. So, yeah, you know, if it does as well overachieving as the iX does, you know, then it'll probably be closer to 340. Um, you know, which would put it you know, not that far off of where the, the Mercedes EQS is.
2: Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's, I think they, they've, they've really, they've done a really great job at sort of, I mean, and I think, like I said, a, a couple places um, are, are, you know, the Germans are sort of under reporting on their EPA range on the, yeah, I, I feel like the I7 is probably going to do even better. I think we're talking probably three forties, but you're like, Oh, you know, we've just, Everyone wants to be very. Care- I mean, the Germans have gotten in a lot of trouble because of <laughs> yeah, and they, they, they and it's they not get, just Volkswagen. Got burned a lot a of on them. that whole yeah. diesel thing. Yeah, a lot, all, almost all of them have have done something. It was just Volkswagen did the the, the biggest and the worst. So yeah. it was yeah. So it's you know they're 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 working against you know their own history to make sure that what they're they're bringing to the world is uh, is uh, better for the environment than say I don't know a diesel spewing machine that <laughs> <Yeah>. cheats. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay so uh, oh how how much was the i x that you were driving it was doo, 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 doo. all right the the manufacturer uh, m s r p was eighty three thousand two hundred dollars the vehicle i was driving was 101020 <sighs> thousand twenty twenty dollar one hundred one thousand twenty dollars um and the the biggest biggest uh Expense was the premium package with the multifunctional seats, the interior camera, some iconic sound, parking assistance, uh, Live Cockpit Pro. Yeah, there's just a bunch of stuff that's inside the car and, and like 3D view. Um, the thing that I still like is the um, Active Driving Assistance Pro. It's that's seventeen hundred bucks. That's it's hands-free up to forty miles an hour. Um, when you're in traffic, I still keep my hands on the wheel. Um, <laughs> I'm currently driving the Mach-E with, it has blue cruise and I still, I'm like, Oh, I can take my hands off the wheel. And I just, I, it's automatically, I just have my hand on the wheel still. It just, I just can't, it's hard for me to like think that, Oh, it's hands-free. I can keep my hands off. I just like, Oh, I can keep my hands off. And then without even noticing blah, my hands back on the wheel. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You're not yeah, even trying. I'm not yeah, I've, even I've, trying. I've got just, I've
0: got an F-150 in the driveway right now with with Blue Cruise, and um, I, I don't I don't put my hands back on the wheel, but I do keep my hands close to it just in
2: case. Just uh, in case, like because well, yeah. well, well, I don't yeah. entirely trust it's
1: it. It's hard to trust that. It's really hard to trust it.
2: I'm yeah. I'm, I'm waiting for for uh, the Mercedes Drive Pilot. I, I've done uh, two demos in it, one in Germany, one in L.A., where it's hands free. And and you don't have to pay attention, it's level three and you know, in certain circumstances on the freeway, blah blah blah. Um, and on the track in BMW where I was behind the wheel, like looking away I was like, Oh, it's fine because there's all these BMW engineers in the car and we're on a track and in the real world I don't know how 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 much I'm gonna like not pay. There are to no BMW
1: <laughs> engineers sitting by you, so
2: <laughs> Oh I'm sorry, not BMW, Mercedes Benz engineers.
1: Or Mercedes, yeah.
2: Someone's going to yell, I'm going to get an angry email now.
1: Oh, you've made a terrible mistake.
2: <laughs> I, made a, I made a horrible mistake. <laughs> Nicole, what did you drive? Yes.
1: So I actually was all drive programs all the time this week. I just flew from place to place to place and don't even know what time zone I'm in right now. Um, but I drove the 2022 GMC Sierra 1500 AT4X and Denali Ultimate. So I had new versions of... Um, a truck that is not as new. <laughs>
0: well, it's not um, that old either. I mean, it's not that came old. Out a couple yeah. of years ago.
1: Right. So these are the two new trims of this truck. So the Denali Ultimate, which I keep wanting to call the Ultimate Denali, so instead I'm calling it the Ultimate Denali Ultimate, is the <laughs> fancy version. Yeah, I feel like that's actually the Ultimate Denali Ultimate,
0: the extra fancy,
1: the extra fancy. You already the- had a
0: fancy Denali.
1: Right. Now you have the fancier Denali. So this so it's kind of funny, like the Denali Ultimate is the fancier Denali and the AT4X is the more off-roady AT4. See the theme? Yep. So um, so basically with the Denali Ultimate, it's exactly what you think it's gonna be. They took all of their um, all of the upscale, fancier trims, adding a little extra everything, making it your luxury truck, and they made it super luxury truck. Um, they made it ultimate. So a lot of it is the styling outside. They have, uh, the grill gets its own little Chrome treatment. It's called Vader Chrome. I kind of love that because in my head it's Darth Vader's pickup
2: truck. Is it spelled um, like Vader, like Darth Vader?
1: It is V A D E R. It's not like some fancy spelling that sounds like Darth Vader. No, it is Vader. It is like, this is his GMC Sierra. So it has Vader Chrome, which is like sort of a smoky kind of Chrome, which looks really cool. Uh, so that's it's got its little design elements. It's like, yeah, so that's kind of neat. Um they have all inside you've got like laser etched topographical maps of Mount Denali on the wood trims. You've got it on the leather seats. Um and the seats are 16-way power adjustable heated and massaging seats.
2: So nice. It's very ultra luxe.
1: It's very ultimate, hence the name. So otherwise it's you know, underneath it all, it's 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 a Denali. It's, a, it's, you know, a top trim of the Sierra 1500. They've just made it look better. They've upgraded the interior materials. They've upgraded the styling. It, I really like it. I mean, it, it's, it's, if you're looking for a luxury truck, the downside to this is you can't get the max trailering package with this. So if you want the ultimate in towing and payload, you cannot get it with the ultimate Denali. You, you, to, the-
2: you can't put two ultimates together because they cancel each other out, I think is what they're saying.
1: Is that I guess that's what happens. Yeah, it's like yeah. a net zero kind of situation. <laughs> it's probably because
0: probably I think they I think they use bigger wheels and, wheels yeah. and tires on the, the exactly. Uh, so yeah. you
1: still have an impressive amount. I mean, it's still got the six point two liter V eight. You can still tow um, eighty nine hundred pounds, uh, a payload of twenty ten. And there's a turbo diesel engine you can get, and the turbo diesel is the same payload, but it takes the towing down to eighty eight hundred pounds. Oh, so, no. I know. You lose 100 pounds. <laughs> but it, but like if, you're you're towing, ke- if you're
0: towing long distances, you definitely want the diesel yeah. because your fuel economy is going to be way, way, way better.
1: Exactly. So, like, suck it up with 100 pounds of towing that you lose because you're going to want it for other reasons.
0: Just um, take a seat out and put it, the, put it in the bed.
1: Right. Just take one seat <laughs> out. Like, like, make someone not ride along. Like, you can't come. You're 100 pounds. Get out. Sorry,
2: um, <laughs> sorry, yeah. sorry, third Susie, child. Susie, you get, get to stay
1: <laughs> home. Yeah, exactly. Susie, what? the house is yours for the weekend. Um, so, And it is like premium pricing. So if you're just getting a CR 1500 and you're looking for the base trim of that, you're looking at about $35,000. If you want the Denali Ultimate, you're looking at $81,000. So it's more than double the price of the base trim of this truck. But it is, it is that uber luxurious truck and a very smooth ride, it, it's, it's basically your luxury truck and they did a really good job. I got to say, you know, cause this is really about style and comfort. That's what the dolly is. And they did that. They nailed it. It looks really good. It doesn't look cheap. They did a very good job. I think of upgrading it so that, you know, there's contrast stitching and there's lots of leather. So it has the style and the look and the comfort you want. That's what you're buying this one for. I mean, there's, you know, 10 hundred other configurations you can do, and trims if you're looking for just capability and roughness and I want to get some work done. That's not why you're buying this one. You're buying this because you want a luxury truck and it, it looks like it. So that was the Denali Ultimate, which I liked very much. I thought it was really good. Your second choice in the mix is the AT4X, which is your off-road version. And they had us take that, oh my God, you guys, we were off-road for like, a week and a half. I think I don't, I, I felt like I lived in the desert. Like this is my home. Now this little patch of dirt, <laughs> this rock, this is where I live now. Um, they took us into an, a desert in like, uh, like a park <clears throat> national or like a state park that was outside of San Diego. It took us about two hours to get there. We spent two and a half hours driving. Then it, like was t- it was like 10 hours of driving for this AT4X and the off road part was really cool um they took us to this thing called the Diablo drop off which is this sort of narrow spot where you drive sort of steeply down and there's you know it's like the uneven you've got the the wheel one wheels popping up the other wheels popping up you know you had to use your lockers you had to be in four low and you get all the way to the bottom and there's kind of a it's not like it's you're in dunes but there's a stretch that feels like a sand dune that very soft very deep sand so that you have to kind of keep your momentum when you're going up the hill or you're going to be staying in the soft, very deep sand, um, which another vehicle that wasn't part of our group did and held us up for almost 45 minutes because he was right in the middle of all the things. So we just sat there waiting. Yeah, he got stuck and he was with a bunch of buddies. Like there were like six people with Jeeps and...
2: No one had a winch?
1: Well, I think they were... I don't know if they are all like, you could do it. I'm like, could he do it faster? Because I would really like to be done with the desert at this
0: point.
2: Um, can you do it later
0: <laughs>
1: later could you do it not in our way
0: tell you what um, we'll pull you out now and then after we're gone you can p- go back into the sand you can and get, try stuck and get right in the same
1: spot and have the joy of getting yourself out yeah but i'm like does nobody have a toe strap like can we just get him out of the sand please so um Aww. but so no the truck the trucks had no problem with it um you know it was it was easy to go down that it was easy to get through and they aired us down quite a bit we were like. 15 psi in the tires so they aired us way down for this stretch of the drive um and we needed it on the sand we went through a couple of like silt beds too enough that you had to like as the person in front of you went through it you suddenly had that whoa (laughs) (laughs) anything um yeah so uh we did some of this so it was really it was a genuine off-road experience and the truck handled it fine you know it has this is this one is the one that's supposed to be your most off-road worthy version of the whole Sierra 1500 lineup and it has this terrain mode that kind of lets you do like a one pedal off-roading which is kind of cool but it's almost too grabby like i almost felt like it was grabbing like it makes it ha- a little hard to control cuz you have to be so easy on oh, the throttle it's like yeah and it's like hard enough to do it in a uh, in the highway you know when you're just driving on pavement but when you're really trying to modulate that throttle driving off-road it's hard when it grabs like, no, 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 too much. Ah, I'm stuck. Like it's a little, it's a little disconcerting. I feel like it's though one of those things, once you play with it enough and you start to get the hang of it and exactly how much it's going to grab the brakes, um, it would probably be really cool. So that's your, and that one is just available with a 6.2 liter V8. You don't have any other choice. That's it. You're going to get that with your 8,900 towing and your max payload on that is only 1420. So the max payload is really what drops not so much the towing. Um and you get the fancy you can still get the fancy multi pro tailgate with its six different
2: positions
1: Thanks. yeah whatever you want to do with it um It's a you... chair,
2: it's a staircase. <laughs>
1: exactly. It's like the the craft multimatic bed of tailgates. <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> so um you know on the Denali Ultimate, you know for mm-hmm. for years now we've been you know everybody's been saying that the the Ram 1500 has the best interior on any pickup truck. Would you say that this was as good or better? Oh gosh, that's
1: tough. Oh, you're putting me on the spot. Okay. Let me think. I, oh, I think honestly, it's going to be a little bit a matter of your preference here. Like I think GMC did a really good job of making this feel like a premium truck. It genuinely does. The The Ram has more of the like, I'm a cowboy kind of vibe going on to the interior. <laughs> I love that. Like, I like that, you know, Sort of like, I just moved to Texas, I got me a truck, and it's beautiful, and it has that, but in a good... Oh, you're laughing, but you know I'm right, Robbie. It oh. does feel like that, doesn't the interior? I it's just got moved this, to Texas,
3: moved I, I got... To Texas,
1: I got me a truck. There's the name of our, of our, our show. Um, I like the Ram. I think the Ram overall has a bit more of a composed ride, which gives it more of a luxury... Feel to it because, you know, it's the, it's the interior and it's the ride quality in a luxury vehicle, truck, sedan, sports car. I don't care what it is. It's the interior and the ride quality. And I feel like Rams is a little bit smoother, a little bit quieter, um, feels a little bit more like a luxury car in truck form. And I just really like the interiors, like the, um, even the stamped, which one is it that has, they have the branded stamp uh, on the, is it the, I think
0: that's on the longhorn. Is it the, yeah, longhorn the longhorn where they've
1: literally branded it? So like your branded stamp looks different than mine. Cause it really is a brand. It's not like a pre printed piece of wood. They brand that sucker. So everyone is a little bit different. I really like that, but the interior of the GMC is like on par with it, with that topographical map and with the, the quality of the leather and the sort of theming, I just personal preference here. I prefer the Ram, but I think it's going to come down to that in terms of, did they meet them? I think they came up to it. I think they're darn close, but I think the Ram is like a skosh quieter and smoother. And I like the cowboy vibe.
0: Okay. Did you, um, did you get to try super cruise on the Sierra?
1: Yes, I tried super cruise. We had a very small section of highway and I tried super cruise on the Hummer EV. So this is the second time I've tried the Super Cruise with a new where it'll like change lanes for you. If you hmm. come up on someone who's going a little slow for your speed, it will see like, OK, you can go in the left lane lane and pass them. And it will essentially do a little pass for you. Um, I, I mean, I think it, it's just as good on this as it was on the Hummer. I don't notice a significant difference to me. I mean, Super Cruise is good. That would be a re- and I, That could be reason enough to say, OK, I would do this truck over another luxury truck. Because it really, Super Cruise is really good. You've driven Super Cruise, right, Sam?
0: Oh yeah, many times. And, and I drove Super Cruise on the on a prototype Sierra um, at um, the GM proving grounds last summer. Okay. Uh, before before they revealed the the new Sierra, they um, you know we, we went out there and we got to try it out uh, and try out the auto lane change and also try it uh, while towing a trailer. Uh, so I don't know if you had a chance to do that while while I did not,
1: I did not try it with the trailer. They did say you could do that. You tried it with the trailer. How was it?
0: Yeah, that was good. Um, you know, they, they do some really clever things, uh, with that. So when you're accelerating and braking, you know, it looks at, um, you know, how fast the vehicle actually accelerates versus how much throttle input you're giving it, uh, and how much braking input you're giving it. And from that, they kind of back out, they estimate, how much the load, the trailer load is. Um, you know, so obviously the heavier the trailer is, the slower it's going to accelerate for a given amount of, of uh, throttle uh, uh, input. And um, then they use that to adjust the, the gap settings when you're in Super Cruise. So if you've got a heavier trailer on there, it will give you a bigger gap to the vehicle in front of you because it knows mm-hmm. it's going to take you longer to slow down or respond. Uh, so they, they did some they did some cool stuff with that, um, you know. And, and generally, you know, I mean, Super Cruise always works really well. It's it's very, very consistent, very, um, uh, you know, very predictable in what it's going to do. Unlike Blue Cruise, um, which we'll talk about <laughs> next time. Uh, but uh, uh, yeah, no, I think I think GM still, you know, of all the hands free systems I've tried, they still do it the best.
1: Yeah, it definitely was like when you were talking about Robbie, you know, the, the, the sort of trusting the system, is it going to do like, you kind of want to keep your hands on like, uh, is it going to do what I think it's going to do? Blue <laughs> cruise, blue cruise, I think it does a really good job of mimicking what I would do. So, so many of them, they stop too soon or they stop too late. They're not going to hit something, but it's just not where I intuitively feel like it should be, or they go a little further to the left lane or a little further to the right lane. They, they, they just don't mimic how I drive enough. I constantly feel like it's missing something. You don't with Blue Cruise. It really feels like it mimics how you drive. Yeah, I mean Super Cruise. Excuse me. It does feel like it mimics how you drive. So you feel you very quickly have confidence in the system and are willing to trust it. Like, okay, you know, this is driving the way I would drive. It's not making me nervous. I can totally trust Super Cruise to do the right thing.
2: It's interesting because when Super Cruise launched, when the 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 initial drive, the car would stay right in the middle of the lane and you'd be passing like big rigs and people were getting nervous because the car was right in the middle of the lane. We automatically, as drivers, like v- like move over a little bit from big rigs that we don't like. We don't even realize it, and right. so they had to adjust Super Cruise so that we would do that, so that to keep people from feeling nervous when so they were coming up to, to a big rig.
1: So maybe that's it. So maybe you know that they've adjusted enough that it it mimics the. The things that maybe we don't need to do that we do do as a human, like, okay, if you're in your lane and he's in his lane.
0: It it tries to do naturalistic driving behavior. Right.
1: And it does. I think it does. It mimics what you do, whether it makes sense that going a little bit further to one side to avoid the big rig that is perfectly centered in its lane and you don't need to move at all, but we do anyway. We'll do that anyway because it makes us all more comfortable. I feel like (laughs) that whatever it's doing, it's figuring that out enough that it is driving the way I would drive. So I trust it.
0: Yep. All right. Um oh, and how much was the A T four X? Oh, the A T
1: four X is it's free. I don't know, let's see. <laughs> the A T four X is it's actually not that far behind the Denali Ultimate. It still sits right at the top of the lineup because of its off road, whereas the Denali Ultimate's up there because of its just luxury. So it's seventy five seven. Okay. So it's still right Ooh. up there. Yeah, it's, it's like about $5,000 less than Denali Ultimate. So pick. You're getting, you're getting a high-end truck either way. Is it off-roadiness that you want, or is it luxury that you want? Pick one. Although the interior of the AT4X is still really nice. It's a little bit more rugged. Yeah. Than the, but, you know, pick. You pick. Am I going to go off-road, down, down Diablo Drop, or am I going to want fancy pants?
0: I want luxury while I'm going down Diablo Drop. Well, dun, dun, tough,
2: dun.
1: tough luck, Sam. No.
2: We're a fancy hat.
1: We're a fancy <laughs> hat.
2: <laughs> this is my fancy off-road hat. This is
1: my fancy off-road hat.
2: All right, <laughs> I hat. <coughs>
0: excuse me. Sam's dying. Yeah.
3: At Parker, our purpose is simple: we want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently by using more sustainable practices.
0: Uh, all-wheel drive Um, so this is uh, currently kind of the the ultimate version of the Tucson Um, but it's not called ultimate it's just limited Um, (laughs) (laughs) and this 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 year is the first year that they've uh, made a plug-in hybrid variant available in here Um, it's the same system that they have in the Sorento. So basically, same, essentially the exact same powertrain that's in the, uh, Kia Sorento, uh, plug-in hybrid. Um, and it's, it's the same basic architecture as the standard hybrid Tucson. Um, the only difference is, uh, the plug-in hybrid gets a more powerful motor, um, electric motor. So the, um, the, the standard hybrid version has a 59 horsepower electric motor, in the plug-in hybrid, you get 90 horsepower so that it's more capable of driving you know, just on electric power alone. Uh, and the battery pack goes from 1.49 kilowatt hours to 13.8 kilowatt hours. Uh, so um, I took it out and drove it. Oh, and, and this is all paired with um, the 1.6-liter turbo and uh, six-speed uh, automatic transmission uh, that uh, you have in a whole bunch of different Hyundai and and Kia vehicles, uh, the 1.6 liter uh, turbo uh, in the hybrid and plug-in hybrid is rated 180 horsepower, 195 foot-pounds of torque. The total system output in the plug-in hybrid is 220, 261 horsepower, and 258 foot-pounds of torque. So it's got got more than enough performance. Um, when I did my range test with an electric uh, drive with this thing. Uh, it's rated by the EPA at 33 miles of electric range. Um, I actually got 39 miles with it. Ooh, wow! Uh, which was what? quite a surprise. Um, it came up just shy of what I've gotten previously with the uh, Ford Escape plug-in and the, uh, to- and the Toyota Rav4 Prime, which got like 41 and 42 miles uh, combined, or uh, respectively. Um, aside from you know having a-, a plug port on the left rear. Uh, Fender. Uh, everything else about this is virtually identical to any other current generation Tucson. Um, for for good or ill, um, for the most part, it's really good. I you know I don't have any really major complaints about the Tucson. This current generation Tucson is a little bit longer, a little bit bigger than uh, the previous generation and and prior generations of Tucson. It's almost as big as the last generation Santa Fe was. And the Santa Fe, of course, also grew in size, so mm-hmm. it's it's several inches longer wheelbase. There's more rear seat leg room uh, in this in this new Tucson. You also have more uh, more cargo space available. Um, the uh, The battery will charge um, at up to seven point two kilowatts uh, when you plug it in. Uh, it takes about two hours for a full charge if you've fully depleted it. Uh, one thing that um, there the the e v mode when you when you engage the e v mode it will uh, you know unless you're particularly light on the accelerator it will still sometimes um turn on the engine um you know for for anything other than mild acceleration so you can you can drive it um just on electricity but um you know if you know, if you give it you know, if you try to accelerate away from the stop um you know with any kind of aggression at all the engine will come on. Uh, briefly but it'll come on and then it'll shut off again uh so uh you know but it's it's very seamless in its performance you don't really you can hear it a little bit you know and I was watching for it but um it it's not really it's not noticeable you won't you won't feel any lurching or anything when the engine starts up or when it shuts down it's it's all it's all quite smooth um, the um overall uh, fuel efficiency Uh, Again, it's rated at uh, 42 miles per gallon um, combined um, on the EPA rating and 80 MPGE with a combined uh, – that's using their combined rating of uh, both running as a hybrid and running as uh, an EV. Uh, Sorry, it's 35 um, when it's uh, running just in pure hybrid mode. So that's a little bit less than what you get – from either the Escape or the the, the uh, RAV4 Prime. Um, I actually got about 30, 33 running in hybrid mode. So it, was, it did a little worse in hybrid mode <laughs> than the label, but it did better in electric mode, which oh, I thought go. was a little, little odd. Um, hmm. My my only significant complaint, you know, I like the design of the new Tucson, uh, especially what they've done with the front lighting. Uh, where the, the daytime running lamps are kind of hidden behind this, this new grill design that they have so that when they're off, you know, it just looks like it's uh, kind of black or gray all the way across. And when you turn it, turn it on, uh, it lights up from from behind, and you see the, the lights in the corners. So it look, it's a pretty cool effect. Um, but the, my only complaint about this <laughs> is the center console, um, too many touch controls. They've gotten rid of all the physical controls for climate control for volume. It's all touch. It's got a nice, really nice uh, screen. Nice uh, the, the the infotainment screen is is you know in typical Hyundai fashion is uh, really bright, uh, high contrast, easy to read in any lighting conditions. That part works great. But um, the the the, t- the controls below it are touch controls for volume for climate. And I'd rather just have either sliders or knobs for some of that stuff, rather than actually have to look at it to to do some of this stuff. Um, but everything else about it, the the ADAS Hyundai's ADAS systems always work really well. Uh, no no complaints there. Uh, the uh, it, it does have uh, the latest generation of that stuff, which includes the what Hyundai calls their Highway Drive Assist, which is their Sort of uh, level two, um, you know, it's a hands-on system. It's not a hands-free system, uh, mm-hmm. but it does a really good job of lane centering um, and maintaining, you know, the constant distance to the vehicle in front of you. Um, the base There's two trim levels for the plug-in hybrid, the SEL, which starts at 35400 and the limited is $43,200 um, with delivery of uh, 1225 uh, the one I tested had was forty three nine seventy, so that's you know forty four thousand dollars is not cheap for a Tucson.
3: Yeah. Uh,
0: but uh, because it's a plug-in, you can get uh, federal tax credit on this, and in some states, uh, state incentives as well. I think the federal tax credit on this one, because of the battery size, is about six thousand uh, dollars. So that would, you know, if you get if you opt for the limited, that drops you down to uh, about thirty eight thousand dollars roughly um, which is, is still kind of pricey, uh, for, you know, for what this is. Uh, but if you want something that's really efficient and can do most of your driving on electricity alone without using any gas, um, you know, it's an, it's another good option there along with the, the RAV4 Prime and the, uh, the Escape plug-in hybrid, uh, you know, which are similar in size and have similar performance levels. Um, so that is the Hyundai Tucson plug-in hybrid limited all-wheel drive. So
1: overall, you like it.
0: Yeah, I do. I just wish, like I said, I just wish that Hyundai had kept some physical controls for the climate and, and uh, audio volume.
1: It's just funny because so many of the, the OEMs that pulled out like every conceivable button – and just made it all capacitive, made it all they, touch They've controls. gone back in the other direction. They're like, wait, people hate this. Like, yeah. they've, like yeah. give them a volume knob. Like, they, they don't give you everything you had 15 years ago, but they give you back, like, some the of essentials. the essentials things. The essentials. Yeah. There's some things that it's just easier to use a button or a dial or a knob for than it is to be trying to slide something up and down or tap it or touch it.
0: Yeah. All right. Uh, let's move on to some of the other stuff. Um, let's start with... Uh, this article I found the other day on Ars Technica that was written by some guy named uh, Baldwin. Uh, oh, he's a jerk. Oh, I'm pretty yeah.
2: he doesn't know what the hell he's talking yeah. about. He doesn't. He doesn't know a damn thing <laughs> about anything.
0: He, he, it's about, it's straight about up EVs fool. versus old beaters. Uh, so, Mr. Baldwin, tell us all about this article.
2: So, um, I wrote an article. Um, and, it, yeah, is uh, which is better for the environment? your your EV or old beater? And I did a lot of math which uh, I think everyone should just applaud me for doing a lot of math. I don't want to do math. Yes, I'm it's not like math is... Math isn't hard. It's yeah, numbers. It's, but it's, just, it's just a lot of pieces of paper and calculations and then doing it again and then doing it again because I don't want... I want to make sure everything is correct. So, I you know, I talked a little bit about the adjustment factor of EPA ratings. Um, most uh, automakers, when it comes to EVs, they just use the regular adjustment factor. Whereas... Um, Tesla and Lucid Air, they use a a different adjustment factor because they go on the dynometer a bunch more times. So you can read it all in the the article. Then I talked a little bit about the factory impact. Like these factories that are building uh, some of these cars that are the most efficient, um, some of them are not so great. Like the Fremont factory, Tesla's Fremont factory, it's got (laughs) a lot of (laughs) – they've gotten in trouble with the EPA a lot about uh, clean air act violations, which is sort of ironic. Consider you're making electric, <laughs> <laughs> like we're going to make the air clean, and then the factory's just blah blah melting up black. Yeah, smoke. they they, yeah. they have
0: a lot of problems with emissions from their paint shop.
2: Yeah, so they have a lot of uh, yeah. And then you know some of the you know Lucid is a new company. They haven't really said much. Uh, Kia and Hyundai, they've talked about the future, but right now they're not really doing too much. Uh, the Chevy uh, bolt and the bolt EUV are being built at the Orion plant, which I think is called Plant Zero now. Um, no, that's that's the Detroit Hampshire. Oh, I'm sorry, that's a you're right, that's that's the yeah. different plant. That's where the uh, And it's Orion, not Orion. Or- sorry, Orion. <laughs> Orion plant. I <laughs> we, you know. We I pronounce things that, weird here in Michigan. <laughs> I, I went to that plant and I wrote an article about it and I did a whole tour and I didn't put like lake or whatever. There's like all this there's there's there's, there's another name for the plant. That everyone colloquially uses, and I didn't put that in the article, and I got a very angry email from somebody. <laughs> Ooh! And I, I couldn't access that email, so I couldn't remember what it was because the email was where I worked, somewhere I worked, and I don't have access to my old work emails. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> anyway, they use landfill gas to power that uh, factory, and so you know we you know I, I talked a little bit about about. That the most efficient EVs on the road, according to EPA, Um, Tesla, Lucid, obviously are up there, but also the Chevy Bolt and the Hyundai Kona Electric, which is number four, which is the car I own.
3: Which makes me feel.
2: I know. Makes me feel a little bit better about the vehicle I own. Um, Then I talked about carbon footprint, uh, break-even point, like how long you have to drive an EV versus a a gas vehicle of the same, about the same market um, before it breaks even. Uh, It, yep. EVs have a larger carbon footprint when they're built and um it turns out it's about 1300 miles. It used to be like 40 and it's getting lower and lower. 1300 or 13,000. 13,000, 13,500 miles. Wow. Was the average so if you're like let you say you get to the 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 BMW 4 series and the BMW i4 it's going to be, you know, the i4 is going to have a larger carbon footprint than a regular 4 series, but after 13,500 miles or so Maybe a little more, maybe a little bit less. They hit parity when it comes to carbon footprint because now you're, you're factoring in their, you know, how much they're belching into the real world driving mm-hmm. around. And then after that, the, uh, the i4 will just sort of just keep leaving the, you know, the force Yeah, it'll just take off. And so I talked a little bit about that, what happens. And then we come down to what that means for an EV versus your old car, your beater car. Um, and oh, this was a huge pain in the ass. The long story, right. long story short, like, a <laughs> about please. yeah, if you, look, if you read the article, there's a lot about grams per CO2, um, you know, of, you know, vehicles that are 12.5 years or older, you know, I did, you know, it's, it's a long story short, it's about two years, you drive your beater for about two years. Um, and it'll be more efficient than buying a new EV for two years. But really? then after that... Because it isn't, we're, we're we're just removing the carbon footprint at like, at the, of it's being built. In, totally, it's gone. We don't count that. I didn't count that at all. You've completely
0: so say, depreciated that out of the equation.
2: Yeah, that doesn't count anymore. Okay. So if you have a 10-year-old whatever, if you're driving it for two years, and and you're driving an EV for two years, for the first two years, because we're not counting the carbon footprint of that uh, old beater, it's more efficient, you know, quote unquote. Uh, it has a lower carbon footprint than the EV, but then after two years, the EV surpasses it; it hits parity. They both have the same carbon footprint, and then, of course, the exponentially the EV just gets more, you know, better and better for the environment versus the beater, which is still just really bad. For, you know. bad. But at the end of it, I talked about it's still really expensive to
0: buy a yeah. car. Well, it's, and and that I mean that I think ultimately is is the the real issue for a lot of people because most people. Never actually buy a new car in their lifetime. That most people only buy
2: used cars. Really? Yeah. I've only leased the only new cars I've ever had were leases, and I've had two. And everything else I've ever purchased, like bought a car, were um, were used. We sell in in the U.S. uh,
0: There's the used car sales outnumber new car sales by about three to one, and the vast majority of people can. They just can't afford to buy a new car. Mm. It's it's too expensive. Uh, so most people only ever buy used cars, and they they drive them into the ground, and then buy another used car. Uh, and so, and and I um, you know wrote something up for work the other day about this because uh, there's a there was another article that I saw um, about uh, California Air Resources Board has been. Uh, there's a bill in the California Assembly to direct the Air Resources Board to do a study and figure out how to incentivize so-called gas super users to um, to buy uh, EVs instead.
1: What counts as a gas super user?
0: So what what they uh, what they found um, from uh, the um, federal uh, transportation no or the Federal Highway Administration. I think, does uh, a survey every five years, uh, the National um, uh, Household Travel uh, Study. And uh, what, they, what they found from that, from the last one in 2017, is that um, 10% of the vehicles on the road account for 34% of the emissions, uh, or 34% of the fuel, of the, the gasoline used, and um, Because those are older cars that are driven, you know, primarily by lower income people who in many cases also have very long commutes because they can't afford to live close to where they work. Close to
1: the city where they work, So They
0: buy cheap older cars that they drive until they're dead, you know, and they, you know, because, you know, they're cheap, but they, you know, they use more fuel and they get driven more miles. And... So you know how do you give how do you create an incentive program for those to get those people into EVs, which I think is actually going to be a real challenge because if you if you think about who that demographic is, you know, and I in this uh, blog post that I wrote for work, um, you know, I gave the example of you know you look at where, the area where you live, Robbie, you know, in the Bay Area, you know, a lot of people that work you know relatively low income jobs, you know, in Silicon Valley and San Francisco and so on have to live out in places like Stockton and Modesto and have, you know, two or three hour commutes each way to, to get to work. And, you know, they're often, you know, they live out in those areas because it's cheaper to live there. They have, they have a cheap car, but they use a lot of gas because they drive a lot of miles with vehicles that aren't as efficient. And, you know, there's a good chance that a lot of those people also don't own a home. They, you know, they rent somewhere, so they're not necessarily going to have access to charging They because they've got longer commutes, you know, uh, a cheap EV that, you know, gets, you know, say a hundred miles of range might not be adequate for them. So mm-hmm. maybe, you know, maybe it's better to just get those people into cheap hybrids, you know, like a Maverick or, you know, uh, a Hyundai Ioniq or, you know, some other, you know, or even, even a, you know, entry-level Prius, you know, that are in the low $20,000 range and incentivize those instead of EVs. Cause that, that might actually be a better solution for those people.
1: It yes. would make it, sense because really like EVs, even for people who aren't for, who do buy new cars, the prospect of buying an EV that is more expensive than a hybrid, more expensive than a gas car and you have to buy, you know, go ahead and have a, some kind of charger installed at your house, and this and that. A lot of people are just like, I'm not spending all that money to do this. It's just not. Does not make sense?
2: Yeah. It's a lot tougher because when you when you don't have. I grew up like stupid poor. <laughs> And so you don't have, like, it, it was weird because someone was like, well, why don't you just buy a new phone? People, why don't people just pay full price for a new phone? I'm like, because people don't have that sort of money. He's like, what do you right. mean? I was like, oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's the same thing where you're like, you're just buying a cheap car, and even though it's going to cost you more for gas, you don't have the capital saved. You you can't save up the capital to buy a new car or mm-hmm. to buy a car. You don't, that has you don't have that better. kind of disposable income to, to yeah, save. So you're, just, you're just going from, like, Paycheck to paycheck to paycheck, and if you don't live in Modesto or Stockton or whatever, you're typically living in a shared living. You know, you're in an apartment with other people, or you're in a house with a bunch of other people, and you know that th- that means there's nowhere to charge. Where are you where right. are you going to charge? And you don't own the place, so you can't put a charger in. And you know, if if you're lucky, and this and and the <laughs> what's nice about the Bay Area is if you to to rent or buy near like a BART station or a caltrain is way more expensive than it is away from public transportation. So unless you live in the city or you live near uh, a bus line, it's super, super expensive <laughs> to like get into the city because you have to pay you know, a premium to rent a house or to rent an apartment near a BART. Like we couldn't we wanted to buy our house near BART. We couldn't afford it. We, we we're not really Yeah, we couldn't afford to live near public transportation because it's,
1: so i never really thought about that how much that would increase things because it's not we have terrible public transportation oh. <laughs> here,
2: so it's never an issue <laughs> yeah yeah we can we can we we wanted i wanted something close to huh. to bart because i can just get off the plane and get on bart and come straight home right and if it's the middle of the day i'll do that and my wife will pick me up at bart or but you know it's it would have been a lot easier for most of the flights or most times i have to go in the city just to take public transportation but you know now i have to like get in a car drive to bart park it and then get in the car and then drive yeah it's it's oh. there's there's so many like sort of barriers to evs and it's going to be a while before the current generation of evs start hitting you know at least 3 years before they start hitting the used car market so you know you know yeah ionic. there's going to
1: be a while before the, yeah that's the thing people you can't buy one if you want an e- used ev it's like you have a very small number of options out there.
2: <laughs> yeah, you're either getting a, a, a you know the hundred mile car, you know the, the eagle. Yeah, that's or pretty the much Seat it. Five hundred or whatever. Yeah. Or you're buying a new car. There's, right. There's very and, few. And
0: if your commute is you know 75, 80, 90 miles each way hundred mile EV you know it's unless you have, yeah you're not gonna you're gonna be really you know stretching it thin and mm-hmm. you know maybe you might have workplace charging but then you know you're back to you know can you charge at home and it's not always a, a practical alternative yeah. yeah Yeah. so I mean the the you know it's it the, the solution is a lot more complex than just giving some tax breaks to low income people to buy an EV you know what you have what Really, What you really need to do is figure out, you know, why do we have these disparities in, in housing, you know, making housing available in a lot of these more popular areas um, and making it more affordable for people so they can live closer. Ideally, you know, it's better if people live closer to where they work, you know, and don't have to have that commute because uh, that's also a lot of time out of their day. And, you
2: know, mm-hmm. that means
0: time you can't spend with your kids or, you know, whatever
2: it's very it's It's interesting because they're expanding Bart here in the Bay Area, but they're expanding it down where a lot of people make a lot of money're yes, not they're not expanding it up to like Vallejo
1: so they're not helping to, the people that need it the most
2: yeah so they, they're sort of expanding it down even though there's a Caltrain already, but they're not expanding it up to like you know some of these towns that are you know don't have the money, they don't have the tech workers either just regular working class people who need jobs, and that's where I live. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, man, I wish we had BART up here. Meanwhile, they're like, we're running BART all the way to San Jose. I'm like, we already have Caltrain to San Jose. What's going on?
0: <laughs> you don't need <laughs> another train to San Jose.
2: Yeah. We, okay,
0: fine. Another train to San Jose. Whatever. <laughs> Plus, a lot of those companies, you know, a lot of the big companies there also have their own private buses. Yeah, you get the bus For workers. To, and that's a
2: whole yeah. issue. You know, luxury buses. Right? Gosh.
0: So. All right. Uh,
2: anyway, yeah, EVs are cool if you can afford it, and you, if you can the afford one. And yeah, blah blah blah. Yeah. Anyway, if you can, if you can get a, I, I, I'll, I'll just keep talking about the Maverick for forever. Maverick's a great little car, uh, forty yeah. miles per gallon hybrid. Um, you can do anything you want with it. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, next up,
0: um, you know, we've we've talked before about uh, the chip shortage, and now it turns out that uh, BMW. Uh, for the last several months, has been delivering new vehicles to customers that don't have um, Android Auto or or Apple CarPlay compatibility built in yet. Have they um, been
1: upfront with it though? Like, do these customers know they're getting that? I don't, that, I don't it... know.
0: I'm not sure if they how upfront they've been. I, I would assume that they have mentioned something, uh, yeah. or certainly customers have probably figured it out pretty quickly. Um, turns out that um, you know they because of the chip shortage, they actually switched over to a different chip. Um, for the infotainment system. So they replaced the, the, the chip that they're using, but that required uh, rewriting a bunch of software. And um, BMW has been a little bit slower on rewriting that, you know, to to make, say, uh, the quote here in the story um, is uh, the chips built into these cars in the first four months of this year needed updated software in order to be fully functional and offer Apple CarPlay and Android Auto and Wi-Fi capability. Um, then so rather than delay the production or handover of these cars until the work on the software update was completed, we've been delivering the cars to customers with the information that Apple, Android and Wi Fi will become available via an update by the end of June at the latest. So yeah, they have they have told customers. Okay, so people these, knew. Yeah. Yeah. Um and so it's just, you know, it takes time to, to rewrite the software and validate it and everything. And um, these vehicles do have over-the-air update capabilities, so you know the customers won't have to take these into a dealer to to get them reflashed or anything. They'll they'll just get a software update um, that enables that stuff. Hopefully, sir. Yeah.
1: There's, I think there was some other. I was reading something about another company doing the same thing, where like the the. You know, you'd have a blank if you didn't have heated seats in your car. Well, the the button is there for the Mm -hmm. heated seats. You push it, it does nothing. Yeah. (laughs) That will come later. It's not
0: connected to anything.
1: Right. So it's like, you don't – this is coming. We'll get you squared away when we can do this. We'll send you the dealer. Yeah, GM's
0: done that on some of their vehicles. Uh, They've also done that with heated steering wheels. And uh, and most companies have, have disabled some function or another on vehicles over the last year because they just didn't have the chips for it. Well,
1: and if you just go, it's like just you know writing stories on various cars when I go to confirm things on the OEM site and then go to double check what they have on the consumer site. And almost every consumer site you go to right now, when you go to it, there is a warning somewhere at some point when you're looking at the vehicle, when you're building the vehicle, when you're trying to find out if your dealer has it, it's like, you know, due to supply chain constraints, the vehicle may not be as listed here. Please check the sticker and check with your dealer. So basically like, Look at your exact vehicle. Yeah. See if it has it, because one the blue one might, the red one might not. Choose carefully. Like they yeah. really. You know. <laughs> well,
0: and and in most cases, you know, the manufacturers have said, as soon as we get the parts,
3: mm-hmm.
1: we
0: will give you a call, and you right. can come in, and we'll we'll put it in for you. Yeah. Um, in this case, uh, BMW actually has the parts, the physical parts. They just didn't have the software. They didn't have the bits to program into it. So. Uh, it'll be a little easier for them uh, to do the upgrade.
1: I feel like that would make me less nervous. Just saying we have to give you an over-the-air update because some software guy who designed software for BMW and that's all he's ever done is designing the software, they're just going to poop beam it to your car. The idea that like something, a
2: physical, physical
1: thing is not right, and they're going to be like, hey, can you take it to Bob's you know, Chevy or Bob's Ram or whoever? Yeah. They're going to fix that for you. I'm like... I want that Uh, from the guy on the assembly line. I don't want that other guy at the dealership who's only done two of these in his life doing that to my car. Like that one makes me more nervous, you know?
2: Especially we're more trained. Like, you know, you have a new iPhone, but in like six months – this software update's going to come out. It's going to do this cool thing. And so our brains are like, oh, okay, yeah, software is going to fix it. Like you're
1: used to that. Like software updates happen. Sometimes they don't even work right. You know, to be fair, they blow things up. You're like, ah, don't download it after all. Like, (laughs) I I guess they're just as likely to cause issues. Who hasn't, you know, had that happen when they download an update to their phone or their laptop or whatever. But somehow that I'm okay with. But it makes me nervous to think that I'm just going to have a dealer, even with the right training, the right equipment, the right everything, Fixing my heated seats to make them heated because currently yeah. the parts aren't in there
0: or whatever.
2: We got a guy. His name is Phil. Phil's <laughs> really good at this. He read this
1: manual. He he's, watched a two-minute video. He's, Phil he's
0: already replaced, them on, replaced this part on 50 other
2: cars. You're good. Yeah, yeah you're you be the You want to be the 51st person. You don't want to be yeah, like one through five. Know. What yeah. if you're one through
1: five? What if you're number one?
2: That, you the one time t- you do,
1: do not want to be number one. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. Um, Speaking of uh, Apple CarPlay and uh, cars that don't have it, um, that's something that uh, Tesla owners uh, have never experienced. Um, Tesla has never included any kind of smartphone projection system. No no Apple CarPlay, no Android Auto. All their stuff is completely built in-house for their software. But uh, one, um, uh, one, one person decided, no, that's not good enough. I want CarPlay in my Tesla. And so he made it happen. Um, he he uh, uh, figured out a way to use the built-in browser that's in Tesla vehicles in the infotainment system, uh, two Raspberry Pis, um, and um, and Linux, and basically having the um, the Android interface being um, projected into the Wi-Fi. So doing a doing a web server uh, from the Raspberry Pi into the browser. On the the Tesla infotainment screen, uh, and then running um, CarPlay on Android, which you can do, and you know because that's something you know for vehicles that have Android Automotive, um, you know you can you can get the code for CarPlay, and uh, there's an Android app that uh, that you can put on there and run uh, to create uh, to have CarPlay on the screen, and that's what this person did. So they've got. CarPlay running on Android in, a, in the browser from two Raspberry Pis. Um, and he's working on an upgraded version of this that does it with just one Raspberry Pi. Um, the, the responsiveness is not great. It's a little laggy. <laughs> uh, if you watch the video that's in the, 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 the uh, story from The Verge will be in the uh, show notes, and you can check out the video, and you can see it does work. It's just a little slow.
2: But it's uh, some of those apps and and like, ways. I remember talking to uh somebody at some automaker years ago about ways, and they're like, yeah, we were wondering if we could like make it native in the car, but it uses so much, it uses far more resources than the car can can handle right now. <laughs> yeah. So, so I think yeah, he'll be able to get it to uh, he'll be able to get it to work, but then as soon as he launches ways, that Raspberry Pi is just gonna burst the flames. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: I bet. Because uh, uh, I think this was in a Model 3 that they did this one. Um, but I think if you actually tried this in one of the new Model S or uh, uh, Model Y or uh, Model X, the, yeah, the upgraded ones, uh, the refreshed ones that they just did that have the horizontal screen, the landscape screen, instead of the old um, portrait-style screen, those things are actually running uh, an AMD uh, SoC. It's, it's basically the same chip that's in a PS5.
2: But the but the but the yeah. uh, but CarPlay is running on the Raspberry Pi, and it's just being it's just being shelled in. Oh, that's in. true. Yeah, yeah, it's okay. just being yeah. shelled in essentially using the website. Yeah, okay. But still, the yeah. Raspberry Pi that's that has to take care of all the. They're just gonna shove a bunch yeah, of GPUs. Yeah, the Raspberry up. Pi's
0: got to do all that.
2: All that they're gonna, uh, rendering. <laughs> they're gonna shove an kind of Nvidia like <laughs> like Xavier. <laughs> need, they're gonna get like to get, I'm uh, gonna go out and buy an Nvidia Xavier. You, you, oh, you get, you
0: <laughs> <and> get an <laughs> Nvidia Shield that might do it.
2: Yeah, and then you just shove it onto the end of the Raspberry Pi, and you're good. All set. Good to go.
0: Oh, uh, okay. So, it is it is possible to uh, to hack your car for good. Um, all right. Uh, one more vehicle that uh, Nicole and I drove last week. Um, yes. Uh, it's not. I
1: mean, we could really just skip this. This is kind of a small, nothing yeah, of a vehicle. No, no it's not important. No one, cares. Important. No one cares, really cares about this at all, Sam. I don't it's, even know why this is. It's just. It's, an, it's just
0: another variant of the F one fifty. I mean, you know, they're everywhere.
1: Whatever. There's so many. It doesn't even keep yeah. track anymore. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so we we got to drive the F one fifty Lightning last week in uh, San Antonio. <laughs> uh, <That's laughs> lightning sounds <laughs> Um And I'll start with uh, the frunk is really big. We. Uh, on, <laughs> On the second morning, when we were heading out uh, to do the off-road driving, um, you know, we had four of us in the uh, in the truck, and we put our four carry-on bags plus two stuffed uh, backpacks in the front. and it was fine, it closed up fine. You know, so you got lots of room in the trunk. Um, what did you think of the Lightning?
1: I like, you know, what I like to best about the Lightning is that, aside from the fact that you know it's an EV. And you have that impressive EV acceleration. It's it's not an insult. This is a compliment. It's just another F-150. Like it drives like an F-150. It feels like when F-150, it has capability. It doesn't feel like they tried to do some like, oh, this is an electric vehicle. Ah. It's like, no, we just made an F-150 electric because it does cool stuff. We didn't try to like change the whole character of an F-150. It still feels like that pickup truck in all the right ways that people love that's the best selling car in the country or best selling vehicle. So I, I liked it. I thought it was really good. I like the base trim better than the, the, what's the top one, the platinum,
0: the platinum. Yeah.
1: I like the base trim better. I don't like, okay. So the platinum has these fancy pants seats. I don't know if you played, played with the seats. Mm-hmm. I played with the seats and it says like platinum and has this extra like little thing that's supposed to support your shoulders and all I could think of was like it had wings. It was like the maxi pad of car seats it had <laughs> wings, and it like had these like wings that came around your. And I'm like, I don't like. Are this. those the same
2: wings? Are in the Machi? Uh,
0: no, they're different. Okay, I okay. don't feel
1: like the wings were as um, robust in the Machi. They are robust wings in the in the Platinum. So it was too much I actually. And I even like the dashboard. That the leather trim in the Platinum. It's like a like a maybe a one inch strip of leather on the dashboard. It like for which is okay leather, but they have this nice, funky like texture on the dashboard in the base one. I actually liked the base trim better than the fancy one,
0: yeah. And um, you know, one other uh difference with the pro, which is the base trim, uh, is that the, the pro is the only one that has the 12 inch um uh landscape display. The mm-hmm. um, the XLT, the lariat, and the platinum all have the 15 and a half inch portrait style screen like it's the same it's the same screen that's in the Mach-E
3: mm-hmm.
0: um, with the, the glued on volume knob on the on the bottom of the screen um, it's the same interface that you find in the Mach-E the the pro has the the 12 and a half 12 12 inch screen that you find on the gas engine platinum and, which is
1: fine I'm and, and, fine with that and, well, the,
0: the nice thing about it is yeah, you know, with the the big screen you're back to having the climate controls and everything in the touch interface, whereas with the 12-inch screen, you still get rotary volume knobs and tuning knobs mm-hmm. and climate controls, um, which, you know, if you drive in the wintertime, you have gloves on, uh, you know, you can operate all that stuff with gloves on. works works really well, um, you know, and some people might like the look of that better. Yeah, uh, you know, and I agree. I I I like the look of the XL t- or the the Pro. Sorry, uh, you like to See,
1: so like the, I, th- I like. I was impressed. Like, there there are very few times. I mean, I like base trims, or they don't often have us have base base trim. But like the lower trims and vehicles, they generally feel and look like lower trims. And this one, I thought, gosh, I totally fine and actually like this better, which is rare. But I think it's part of their strategy too. You know, they, they pr- the pricing has escaped me, but the pricing on the base trim of the F one hundred and fifty Lightning is not outrageous.
0: For a truck. It, start, it starts at $40,000.
1: Okay. I had 40 in my head and I couldn't remember. So it's like 40 grand. So you don't, you can get into an an EV truck for less than $40,000 and it doesn't feel like junk inside. It feels nice. That's impressive. And that makes it, the neat thing about this is it gives it appeal to any kind of truck person, like truck guys, you've got a truck you can afford. You want a work truck that can do work. It can You want it to be nice inside. It is. You want to try going with an EV? Hey, you can do it with this. I feel like it really stands to um, expand the appeal of EVs in a way that other vehicles haven't, because the F one hundred and
2: fifty is the best selling because- vehicle.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So if you can get if you can get people, all those best selling vehicle people, to say, "All right, fine, I'll give your EV thing a try," and hey, it drives. It, you know, it's got that impressive EV acceleration, but it's still looks like an F-150 and feels like an F-150 and forms like an F-150, that's, that's something.
0: If you've ever been in an F-150, you get in this thing and you know exactly where everything is, exactly yeah. how everything works. Well, and what it's, they, all, it's all the same, which is part of why they were able to offer it at such a relatively reasonable starting price mm-hmm. because, you know, they, they, they use all the same parts in the cab, you know, and so they've got huge economies of scale, you know, from building 900000 a year of these things. Right.
1: Well, and they talked about how that also means that if you have an F-150 right now and you have accessories that work in the bed and you've spent a lot of money on random accessories here and there, they didn't want to make it so, well, if you get a Lightning, you got to buy all that stuff again. You can take them off your F-150 and you can put them in the F-150 Lightning. Like they're compatible. So you don't suddenly, you know, they they could have decided to change that. They didn't. And I know it makes sense for them financially from a point, but it also... For consumers, that's fantastic. So whatever you have in your F one hundred and fifty that you use, however you configure that bed right now, you can do the same thing in the Lightning. That's pretty mm-hmm. amazing.
0: Yeah, I mean, basically, you know, it's a quieter F one hundred and fifty that mm-hmm. has a very large lockable front storage Huge. compartment. Huge. Yep. And um, and you know, is also a lot faster. It's the fastest F one hundred and fifty they've ever built. When. And-
1: well, and it's the other big thing is that the F one hundred and fifty Lightning can charge your house if yes. you get the if you get the you have to get Ford's little charging things to be able to have it go back and forth between the two. Do the engineering, Sam, so that it can. So
0: the um, the Charge Station Pro actually comes with um, all any 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 Lightning you get with the extended range battery with the three hundred plus mile battery um, comes included with the charge station pro which is an 80 amp charger um that's 19.2 kilowatts and then you have if you want to do the, the the house you know the backup the intelligent power backup you have to buy the the sunrun um home integration box which has the transfer switch and automatically does the switches back and forth. So when, as soon as your, if your power goes out, then it automatically starts pulling power from the truck. And then as soon as your power comes back on, it reverses and goes back the other way. Um, so that home integration box is $3,800. It's um, not cheap. But the, the charger comes with the truck. And uh, it, with if you get the standard range truck, you can also uh, get that charger. Normally a, an 80 amp charger like that, um, usually costs upwards of $2000. Mm-hmm. It's only 1300 bucks if you yeah. buy the standard range one and you want to upgrade to that you you can get that for $1300. So it's not not cheap but you know it's a lot cheaper than if you just went on Amazon or went somewhere else and bought an 80 amp charger.
2: Yeah, most um, of them are at the, they top out of like 60 or 50.
0: Yeah. There yeah, I saw there's there's like Clipper Creek makes an 80 amp charger and there's a few others out there, a few other 80s. Um but you know, I mean, most most EVs won't charge that fast on AC mm-hmm. anyway. Um, they the uh, the Lightning has uh, dual onboard chargers to enable that 19 kilowatt charging. Um, oh, so it's like an eight and an eleven. Uh, well, no, it's actually Seven like point two, two nine point twos, two nine point twos, or nine point nine point six, two nine point six kilowatt chargers. Um, so that. You know, actually, one of the questions that we had um, from, that came in from Twitter uh, was from, from uh, John Halkius. Uh, what's the real actual cost to outfit your home to use this vehicle with the intelligent backup power? Does it make sense to use Ford's recommended Sunrun or hire an outside contractor to do the retrofit for it? So um, the first part, um, you know, the actual cost, you know, in addition to the truck, 3800 bucks for the home integration box. And then whatever the installation cost is, which um, depending on your home, um, you know, could run from anywhere from a uh, thousand to maybe several thousand dollars, uh, because to to use this, you you'd have to have an 80 amp circuit, or actually a hundred amp circuit, available for it, because uh, for an 80 amp uh, unit, you need need a little buffer, so you'd have to have a dedicated hundred amp circuit from your circuit breaker panel. Um, which means you're going to have to have at least a 200 amp panel in your house. Uh, So if you have an older house that only has a hundred amp service, you're going to have to upgrade that to 200 first. So you have to replace your your breaker panel. But if you have a 200 amp panel, which most newer vehicles have or most newer homes have, um, and you've got enough capacity, uh, you you may have to put a new, um, a new hundred amp breaker in there. Uh, But you know, so it, Basically, to, to do what I recently did, which was have actually have a 50 amp circuit put in, that cost me 700 bucks. Uh, but for 100 amp, you're probably looking at about a thousand bucks if that's all you want to do is is have the 100 amp charging or the 80 amp charging, and then probably somewhere in the neighborhood of maybe a thousand to 1500 bucks to install the. Um, the Sunrun box in addition to that. So you're looking probably a couple of grand at a minimum for installation.
1: I feel like um, the total probably on like, okay, if you're just going to ballpark it, probably five to $6,000, depending on your house, your yeah. configuration, what's what's already existing for your electrical panel at your house, which is a lot. But at the same time, if you're looking, like you're using that, the, the reason you would want that is so that you can use your truck to power your house. Right. So for three days, they say, no problem. If you're conservative in how you use that power, they say you could get as much as 10 days. So if you're sort of cycling what you're using. turn off all
0: the excess computers. and
1: Right, turn off the stuff that isn't like your heat if it's winter or your fridge, if it's summer and you're trying to keep your food from going bad. Like if you're conservative, so 10 days. If you get yourself a generator, depending on the size of your house, you can spend $10,000 on a generator to power a good size house. Like, and so it's not as if, like, oh, this is absurd. No, if you're kind of turning your truck into a generator and you're doing it for what, like, yeah, you're like, oh, gosh, five, dollars $6,000. But if you put a generator on your house, you're going to spend at least that, if not more. And now you have something that's, it's, you know, it's not like running every month. Like, in, you know, if I don't know if everyone lives near somebody who has a generator and they have to run once a month to make sure they're running. And it's always on a Sunday morning at 5 a.m. in my neighborhood. And you hear the, like, <laughs> of a generator. You avoid all that. You know, so it's, it's, it sounds expensive. It just silently
0: switches over.
1: It just silently switches over and it seems expensive. And of course, if you can't afford the $6,000, you can't afford it. But if in lieu of getting a generator for your house, it's, it's absolutely brilliant. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And you know, if you're also looking at putting solar on your home, you know, you can roll all that right into, into that. Uh, mm-hmm. purchase as well. So, you know, that you might, you'll save yourself some some headaches there if you're doing all that at the same time. Um, and then the other part of the question was, you know, do you have to use the uh, the Sunrun unit? Um, for now, yes, you do. Uh, because the Sunrun box has to communicate with the, the Ford charger. Um, eventually, Ford does plan to open that up. To other providers so you will have other options but for the time being the sun run is the only one that's that's compatible with this um but i know, would totally
1: it, do it if i was getting an f-150 i would spring to have that whole situation set up i would absolutely figure a way to figure that into the cost because i think it i we don't lose power generally for huge swaths of time it's not like we live in some where there's hurricanes but if you look like I'm in the Northeast, if you lose power for 24 hours and it's 30 degrees out, you are cold. <laughs>
0: you get hit by an ice storm. That exactly. Knock some, some utility poles down. There and have been occasions lines.
1: where we've been out without power, like on, you know, in the very many years of lived here, two, three, four days. But for the people who don't have any way of generating that power, your pipes are frozen. And now you are spending thousands upon thousands upon thousands of dollars. And that's every time that happens. Mm. If you can avoid that by spending six grand, when you buy your truck to turn your truck into a, a makeshift generator, heck yes, I would do that.
2: Yeah, here in Northern California, they typically summertime they just turn off power. Like, oh, we're gonna have the power off for wow. you know twelve hours. We're gonna this day we're gonna have that. We're actually quite lucky. We live near like a switching station, so they can't they don't turn our power off. But our <laughs> neighbors down the street, like their power will just go off all the time. But one of the things when I was looking at the uh, for the future is like a second EV is something that has bi-directional charging that is essentially this, that you can have, like maybe if we got a uh, Volkswagen, the, um, the ID Buzz, you know, it's got a nice big battery. We're not going to drive it as much as we do the Kona. So if it's just sitting there, I can, you know, charge it during the day and then, you know, have it, you know, power goes out. Hey, it's cool because we have <laughs> this vehicle right? that, well, that what... runs our house. What, this
0: starting this summer, uh, PG and E, which is your utility, Robbie, uh-huh. um, is starting a a test program with both GM and Ford. Um, like so, this this power backup thing we've been talking about that's all managed entirely locally at your house. Um, so it you know it does all it d- does the detection of the power outage and switches everything over locally. But what PG and E is going to be testing with GM and Ford. Uh, is a system uh, It's part of what they call demand response. So one of the things with demand response today that they do is, uh, you know, if you sign up for a demand response program, you know, they can have a separate panel for your air conditioning, for example, and they can remotely turn off your air conditioning. So if they're seeing too much load on the grid and they need to lower it down, you know, or rebalance things, they can switch stuff off remotely. Um, what they're going to be doing with GM and Ford EVs is testing, uh, uh, demand response using the EVs to as power generators for the home. So if, if the load on the grid is too high, um, they, instead of doing bl- rolling blackouts, they will just, uh, send signals to these vehicles, uh, to these homes that opt in, um, and say, okay, I'm going you know, to turn off your power, switch over to pulling power from the EV for an hour or two. And they can rotate this around, uh, around different homes. So you're not off for an extended period of time. You might be off for a couple of hours uh, and then back on. You know, but you'll still have power because you've got your EV. Uh, so you won't have a, a blackout, but it reduces the load on the grid so the utility can get things under control again. I done. don't want them
1: turning off my power, though. I don't. Want, I can see me coming home like, wait, the air conditioning's off. No! Well, it's
0: up. Oh, but PG&E. if you've got the CV, your air conditioning will still be on. Exactly.
1: Yeah. I would still have my AC. This yeah. is
0: hard for me to trust PG&E
2: about anything. Well, and I don't think like, anybody
1: trusts them. a perfectly
2: legitimate concern. You know? Yeah. <laughs> They've they not you've necessarily the, proven themselves. I'm more, than, I'm more than happy to, to, to reduce my, my carbon footprint by, by putting uh, solar panels on my house and using batteries and, and, and cars and everything. But... Uh, this is P- so pg and he's like, hey, we want to help. I'm like, nah, I'm good. I'm You're like, no, good. you don't. <laughs> I, I can <laughs> handle it on my own. Thank you. Yeah, That's I cool. got this. Thank you. <laughs> I got this. I, I... <laughs>
3: All
2: right.
0: Did, did you do any towing, Nicole?
1: I didn't. Unfortunately, did not have an opportunity to do that because they scheduled me very close flights. So I did not get oh. to do any towing.
0: Okay. Ooh, well, I yeah. I did. I pulled uh, the, the max tow rating uh, on the Lightning. Uh, if you get like the, the the Pro with the extended range battery or the Lariat or the XLT, you can get up to 10,000-pound tow rating. Um, and uh, you can also have a payload capability of up to 2,235 pounds. Um, so I pulled a 9,500-pound winery trailer. We were at a, a vineyard uh, that had a couple of very large water tanks on there and several— uh, uh, Wine barrels filled with something presumably not wine, um, so it was a ninety five hundred pound trailer and I took the took it on this little drive route and it barely felt like there was even a trailer attached I mean this thing was seven hundred and seventy five foot pounds of torque this thing just it just goes even with wow. that that trailer back there. Um, one of the interesting things um, at the end of the show uh, we've got i've got a thirty minute interview I did with Darren Palmer, the vP of uh, electric vehicle programs at Ford. Um one of the things he talked about was they they have we talked earlier about um you know the trailer towing with supercruise and how GM's kind of kind of estimating the weight of the trailer on the fly. Um what uh you know Ford actually has um their uh bed scales that they've that they're building into F150s now. So you know how much load you're putting in the um in the bed for for the payload and also a smart trailer hitch. Um, so you know what the tongue weight is, uh, but then the other thing you can do is uh, when you set up your trailer for the first time, you can they suggest you calibrate it. And basically, what you do is you hook up your trailer, uh, and then you go and drive ten miles, and it takes it captures a bunch of data. And um, the reason it does that is so that for the range estimation, you know when you you put a, a QR code on the the, the trailer hit on the trailer uh, and then the camera looks at it and it automatically will, when it sees the, the QR code for that trailer, it's been calibrated. It will automatically adjust the, the model for the, um, the range estimation. So you can, um, you, you'll have a more accurate picture of how much actual range you have when you're towing. Uh, and uh, you know, the one of the other questions we had here was from um Let's see. It was also I think it was oh uh, also from John Halkius. Or uh, it was uh, how how does the uh, towing affect the range? Um, and the the question you know the answer to that is complicated. It depends on the trailer. Yeah. You know, um, if you have a fairly low uh, low profile trailer, that you know that's basically if the if the top of the trailer is below the top of the F one fifty the um, the aerodynamic drag it'll basically be in the in the the wake of the the truck, and it won't have nearly as much impact on range. Obviously the weight will have some impact, uh, but not nearly as much as if you had a like a tall horse trailer that sticks up above. Um, and so the the range the impact on range can be anywhere from. 20, 25 percent, you know, if you're just towing a, a smaller trailer with a couple of jet skis on it or, you know, snowmobiles uh, to, you know, up to 45, 50 percent if you're towing a big horse trailer. Uh, so the the impact is is variable. But if you calibrate the trailer, at least the range estimate you'll see on the cluster should be fairly close to what uh, what you'll actually get.
1: Well, and they said, too, as I remember reading some of this stuff when they were talking about how they're figuring range when you have a trailer hooked up, they're going to use like they're going to be looking at where you're driving and the terrain you're driving in. And, and they're even going to be comparing that to similar Ford vehicles that were driving similar roads and seeing how that impacted the range. So they're they're doing a lot to try to give you as accurate as possible an estimate so you're not blindsided with thinking I have 200 miles. Nope, I had 125. You know, it sh- it sounds like it should be a pretty close estimate what they're going to give you there. It seems like it should be pretty good. I mean, we won't know until we all go tow something or till, you know, consumers start towing in the real world and say it was spot on, it was way the heck off, but it seems like they put a lot of effort and a lot of high-tech tools in here to try to make that as accurate as they possibly can in real time.
0: Yeah yeah and then you know certainly you know with all that torque, you know this thing's got no problem at all with the weight it's just it's just a question of how much it impacts the range mm-hmm. so um so while we're you know while we're at this point, why don't we go ahead and well i guess one one more thing you know is the the pricing um you know they start they start at forty grand they're they're shipping to dealers now that's for the the standard range pro the Fully loaded Platinums that we were driving were about $94,000, $95,000 all in. Uh, You can still get a $7,500 federal tax credit on that, so that gets you down into the the mid-80s. But that's, you know, still not cheap. Um, You know, probably an XLT or Lariat, you know, an XLT with the extended-range battery is probably the sweet spot. They're all four-wheel drive, standard equipment. There's no rear-drive, single-motor version, um, and there's no... um, there's no other, um, body configurations, just the super crew with the five and a half foot bed. Uh, that's the only configuration because it turns out that more than 80% of all F-150 buyers, that's the configuration they buy. <laughs> Very few people actually buy standard cab F-150s anymore or any other truck for that matter. Uh, so that's the only one they're going to offer, uh, for the time being. At some Fair. point, I wouldn't be surprised if they do offer, you know, a standard cab or, you know, a uh, the extended cab uh, pro just only for the, the, uh, the fleets, but for now that's only the one configuration. Um, So let's, there's some other questions we got about the, uh, the related to the right lightning. So let's go into the Q and a, so Brent Berenshausen asked obvious question. Would you pick it over a Rivian? Dun, dun, dun. Yes. Why?
1: Because The Rivian, um, as cool as Rivian is with this little, like, cargo tunnel and stuff, I I like the ability to turn the F-150 into a generator for your house. I like how well it's going to estimate or appears to be able to estimate the range, especially when you're towing a trailer. Um, I think the interior and the drive and the feel of the F-150 feels like a traditional truck in all the right ways, um, so I would, pick, I would pick F-150, Lightning.
0: I, I would agree. Um, you know, you've got similar range, uh, 320 and I think 329 for the, mm-hmm. the Rivian. Um, the Lightning's got um, only slightly less towing capability. The Rivian claims 11,000 pounds versus 10,000. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's close enough. It's a, it's a wash. Um, you've got significantly more payload capability, 2,200 pounds with the mm-hmm. Ford. Um, you 've got that big fronk, which I think in for most people will probably be more useful. I think you know some people might find the the pass through cargo area behind the cab more useful in the rivian i 'm um, not sure if it 's long enough' uh, it, Is it long enough to stick a um, a surfboard in there Robbie do you know
2: the I the pass through
0: yeah
1: yeah on the rivian that runs it depends behind on what you, i mean
2: it's, it depends on on what you on what you, uh, what you surf. I mean, there's different yeah. size surfboards. I mean, if you're riding a longboard, no. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if you're riding something short, if you're riding a fish, I mean, the fish might be too wide. It's, you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's sort of all over the place. Uh, you can throw yeah. some snowboards in there, though. Okay. Yeah, yeah so snowboards okay. will be fine. Okay. Surfboards are, But you can yeah.
0: fit the snowboards in the front of the uh, the F-150, too. Because it's
1: so stinking huge. Yeah, I feel, I feel like it, the cargo tunnel is a neat, neat idea, and probably it's going to give you some functionality that you don't have... In the F-150, but I feel like what you gain is, a, like, the times when you really need that pass-through are really, really, really small. Like, the times you have it, you'll be like, oh, my gosh, this is so cool. But it's, like, 99% of the time, you're going to be able to do just fine with a ginormous trunk or frunk on the F-150. You're not necessarily going to need the
2: pass-through situation.
1: So that The, the, the Rivian
2: does have the camp kitchen but $5,000 like... and you can just yeah. buy a camp kitchen for like a hundred, like a hundred bucks was like to Well, you can and buy I'm, a
1: camp kitchen and put it in the bed and have like little thing that you can well, take it in and out and wheels to slide the thing in and yeah, out. And, and
0: I'm sure it's only a matter of time before somebody comes up with a, uh, a camp kitchen
1: uh, that frunk. fit into
0: the front of the F 150 And you've got the, the power there. You've got four outlets. Oh, you could just in. like slide the, just the whole thing the...
1: out. It's your whole kitchen. It just yeah. whoosh, slide it out from the front, cook your stuff. Slide
2: it back. It's all yeah. warm; it starts melting everything. No, there have to be
1: some. I was just thinking there has to be a safety thing until it reaches a certain temperature, the latch will not release, or some good
2: yeah. thing. Yeah, but I'm sure.
0: I'm sure somebody will come up with that sooner rather than later. Mm-hmm. Um, or you know, if not in the front, at least in, in the back. You, know, you could put one in the bed. And, yeah. Yeah. You know, use the 240 volt outlet that's back mm-hmm. there. All right. Next, um, you kind of addressed this already, Nicole, uh, from Paul Cavanaugh. I know. I realized that would, I did. Would, would the Pro Trim make a good personal vehicle?
1: And I already said I like the Pro Trim. I think it would. I, don't, I think this is probably the first time that the base trim of something I really think is the best deal, the best option, unless for some reason you want to go with the fancy. You know, there's, there's, in between there's a lot, but I think the Pro Trim makes a lot of sense as a personal vehicle. Yeah, I yeah, no it's, hesitation it's, buying it.
0: Especially if you get it with the uh, with the extended range battery. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, for for commercial users, you know, the 230 mile range is probably going to be fine for a lot of yes. them, like for a landscaper and things like that. Um, but um, for consumers, you probably would want to order it with the bigger battery. Uh, but that's it. You know, I mean, the rest. You know, if you've if you've ever been in a base you know, like an XL trim F one fifty in the past, this is a much higher grade right. trim grade than what those were it's not just a stripped down hard plastic everything work truck it, like, it still it's feels the, nice it's
1: the like it's the base trim of the lightning but think of it more like a mid trim of a typical truck it's nicer yeah. don't think of it like the base trim of any other truck that you've been in because they all have a base trim that's just horrific this isn't like a typical base trim it, think of it more like a mid-range trim but it happens to be the base for the lightning
2: and you get yeah. actual physical buttons for uh, Climate <laughs> control. So, Woo-hoo! yeah.
1: Yep, that's a bonus.
0: Okay. Uh, let's see. We already answered the question about the actual cost for that for the the home power backup. Yeah. Um, okay. So we got a couple of other questions as well. Um, let's see, from Grant, he asks. Uh, Maybe more for, more of a question for the next time you interview a Toyota rep, but how did they think it was acceptable for the BZ4X with uh, actually DC it fashion?
1: says BZ4Z? Did you do that <laughs> it, typo? Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh,
0: no, it was just a straight copy and paste. I and,
1: said you know. it's the worst name. No one gets it right. I'm not picking on yeah. you, Grant. I can't either.
2: No, I got it wrong in a video. It was supposed to be a joke that I got it wrong, and then I was supposed to have the correct name, and I couldn't figure out the correct name. So the video is <laughs> just me saying things, and they had to put like a little like uh, like a little bug that said it's BZ. Robbie's confused. So. Uh, how
0: did they think it was acceptable to deliver the BZ4Z with DC fast charging speeds as slow as they are, at uh, at least from what we've seen from early reviews and otherwise good vehicle with a major, rather major flaw.
1: I don't think anybody knows. And I don't think I heard as a real answer because that was, there were questions asked at the launch and it was kind of like, it's fine. It's fine. Next question. Like it really wasn't.
0: Yeah. It's basically you know, um, you know, most, most of the chargers, most of the DC chargers that are out there are only 150 kilowatts or 120 kilowatts anyway, or less. Um, so, you know, you can, you can use all of that, but it's still, you know, especially when you look at, you know, what you're getting from Volkswagen or Ford or, um, Hyundai, Kia, 230 kilowatts, you Mm know, VW and Ford, you know, 150. Um, it's, it's just not a, you know, it's not it's odd. It's they, an they odd decision. Done, they should have done yeah. more. I agree. It's ridiculous. All right. Uh, and then the last question from Edgar Diaz. Uh been listening to this podcast for a few months now and I'm enjoying it. Uh, I really appreciate how you have at least one lady on there so as not to be overly male in your perspective. It makes lady. a difference.
3: Thanks, Edgar.
0: Nicole. <laughs> that's uh, me. I'm quick the lady. question. And would appreciate your thoughts. Uh, My wife and I are thinking of getting an electric car, but it seems that all the new electric cars are tracked by the manufacturer or others. Uh, Do you think this is an issue or is there a way (laughs) to turn this off? This may make a difference in our purchasing decision.
1: Oh, Edgar, I think you're being tracked everywhere anyway. I think the car is the least of your um, worries between your phone and... Everything else. Yeah. I mean, if you're taking
0: your phone with you, you're also being tracked. You're still being, yeah.
1: I think uh,
2: it's, well, I think here's the, here's the, here's the issue. If you're using Google maps, you're being tracked Mm -hmm. and you're being tracked for, for ad dollars. If you're using Apple maps, you're less likely to be tracked, but you're still being tracked. Um, and that's like every car, to be honest, not just yeah. EVs. It's like every car has something, but a lot of it is anonymized because no one wants to get into a big trouble <laughs> for that. Right? Um, you know, if you're using OnStar, OnStar's tracking you, but you're saying, "Hey, I want you to track me in case you know something breaks down and I want right. someone to help me." So, uh, I, I mean, I, I hate saying, "Yeah, everything's tracking you," but everything is kind of because it, it's it's such an easy, like, well, nothing matters because everything's tracking you, which is, you know, really not fair because. We shouldn't be tracked for absolutely right. everything we do. You can, use, um, like you can use Google Maps without signing in. You can, can use Apple Maps without signing in. So you can use all these systems without actually creating accounts. And so if you don't have an account that's you're less likely to be tracked, they're kind of tracking, you know, they don't know who you are personally. Um, as for your vehicle being tracked, um, again, it's, it's, it's more, I mean, your biggest concern would probably be OnStar. Um, and that mm. and you have to opt in for that, really, for OnStar. Right. Um, and everyone has some sort of tracking. I mean, our Hyundai has something where we can set it up where we know we know where it's at. But again, the automakers after, especially after the GM hack, they're all still a little gun shy. They they don't want to be. Whenever you ask them about this, they're like, "Well, people have to opt in. You know, they're always like, you have to opt in, and it's anonymized. So yes, you're being tracked. They don't know it's you though." They don't know, like, hey, I know where this car is. I know it's it's Edgar Diaz. They just know, I know some data about an anonymous vehicle.
1: It's going to sound weird, but it's almost like sort of, as far as the personal intrusion into what you're doing with your day, it's sort of innocuous, because it's not really looking and saying, this is what Edgar does every day. It's just, there's a car, and many of them go here. And this, you know, it's not, it, it doesn't generally record that kind of personal, like, this is your exact vehicle, and this is where you personally drive. It's just like we have vehicles that drive here.
2: Who's? Whereas to? Google, if you use Google Maps yeah, all Google the time, does. that's exactly yeah. what it's doing. <laughs> Google does. So it's yeah. not
1: the car. It's not the OEM. It's not the car and the OEM that are getting your data that I'd be more nervous about. It's more just like do you use that other stuff on your phone or in your car? Do you use that other stuff? Then they got gotcha. you.
2: I talked to Polestar <laughs> and Google about Android Auto, and they said Android Automotive because that is – Google, you know, in, yeah. and they, they said, yeah, you can use it without an account if, you want, if you're concerned about privacy. You don't have to use to your it? Google account to use you know, Android Automotive in our vehicles. So there's, you know, if you're thinking about a Volvo or a, Pol- or a Polestar or anything that's using Android Automotive. And, and
0: the same is true for, for other manufacturers that are bringing out Android Automotive-based systems like GM on the new Sierra and, and the Hummer, and all, all their new vehicles coming out have Android Automotive. You can use them all without logging in. Um, So you can, you can, you can still, you know, you'll still have Google maps. It'll know where a car, a vehicle is, but not, it it won't, it won't be able to tie it. Well, if you have your phone with you, then they can probably, Google can probably de-anonymize it and tie it back to you because, you know, they, they know, you know, they know where the location of your phone, certainly your self, your cellular carrier, Knows the location of your phone at all times, Um, but you know they, you know manufacturers do also collect some. You know, well, first of all, virtually all new cars have connectivity built in, and you know for manufacturers it's helpful um, because, first of all, it's how they're they're going to be able to do OTA updates. Um, So if you don't ever want OTA updates on your new car. Um, then (laughs) you can certainly turn off the connectivity. Um, But, uh, you know, they can also, they can get telemetry data, uh, diagnostic data from your car. Um, So, you know, you mentioned, Nicole, that, you know, they they Mm -hmm. don't know the type of car. Actually, they they know the type of car you're driving, but they don't necessarily know it's you. Right. Or or they don't really care that it's you. They don't care. what, What they're looking for is patterns in how people use the vehicle. Uh, because that's something that they use for debugging problems, but also it's a it's an input that they use in their product development process for the next generation. They want to know, um, you know, how how many miles a day do people drive in these things? Where you know where do they charge? You know, do they charge at home? Do they charge at public chargers? What kind of chargers are they using? Are they using AC? Are they using DC fast chargers? Um, you know, so they're 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 trying to understand. Um, you know how how the charging experience. Well, and another thing, you know, and this is something I talked to Darren about. Uh, you know, is the, the charging experience. Uh, you know, one of the things that Ford does, for example, now is every time you plug in your car, they send back some data to home base. You know, okay, we, we had the 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 owner plugged in his car. Um, did it initiate a charging session correctly? Um, How fast did it charge? How long did it take to to start the charging session? If it didn't initiate a fast charging session correctly, um, you know, what, you know, and they collect collect a bunch of other data to try and understand what went wrong. Um, And, you know, this is part of, you know, when the Mach-E came out last year, there were a lot of complaints from people using especially Electrify America stations, but also some other public charging stations about the chargers not starting the charging correctly. And they... So Ford put in this telemetry data to understand what was going on so that, you know, if there's a problem with the vehicle, they can fix that. And if it's a problem with the chargers, they can let the the charging network operators know and get it fixed. Um, So, you know, yeah, I mean, there there are certainly very valid privacy concerns. But, um, you know, there's also some very good reasons why it's beneficial not only to you now, but to the manufacturer and to future EV owners to share that data to help fix those problems, to, you know, to diagnose those problems and and make the experience better in the future. Um, If you don't, if you decide you don't want to share any data, um, you have the option when you get the car of turning off the connectivity. You don't have to, you know, everybody now gives you usually, you know, anywhere from one to five years of free basic connectivity so that they can do things like OTA updates and, and telemetry collection. But if you don't want it, you don't have to agree to the, the terms of service when you first get in the car. You can have that turned off. Um, so there, there is a way to turn it off, and that will turn off the, the data modem, but be forewarned that you will never get any OTA updates if you do that.
2: <laughs> but if you're cool, that's cool. I mean, that's yeah. fine. It's but anyway, it's and it's also the attack surface. I mean, people for the yeah. for the most part, you're the average person really shouldn't be concerned too much about. I mean, you should be concerned about tracking, especially if it's not on, anonymized. But. No one's going to go after a regular person. They're usually going after politicians, CEOs, uh, people who are doing uh, um, human rights abuses, people who are, who are wandered by nation states, stuff like that is where it really gets really tricky and weird. Um, the average person is more likely to get swooped up in some sort of major leak. That's where that's where all the stuff happens. Is when yeah. it's not and, it's not between chances. you. It's not between your your device, and a person. It's between that person and the server where all that information yeah, is. Yeah, that's
0: there. what I was just going to say. It's going to be uh, somewhere in the cloud where that's yeah.
2: more likely to happen. But yeah, you can turn everything off too. And then you know, I drive. I have a Subaru BRZ. and It has like nothing.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, my, my Miata has nothing. And know, I drive that around all it does, the time. My, the Miata doesn't even have an OBD two port. Yeah. So. Uh, all right. So that's uh, all the questions for this week. Um, stay tuned uh, right now for the interview I did with Darren Palmer at the drive. Uh, we talked for a little more than half an hour. Um, and uh, had, Darren had some really good stuff in there. I asked him uh, whether there will be a Lightning Raptor. Uh, so stay tuned for for the for his response to that one. Um, and um, we will talk to you next week and oh and you know if you were if you were a patreon uh supporter um you would have actually had the darren palmer interview last week dun, dun, put in the patreon feed last week um, so if you want to get early access to interviews um i usually put those in the patreon feed right away um and then we put them in the regular show later on so um thanks everybody
1: thanks bye. guys bye
0: darren the uh f-150 lightning First time today driving it. It's been almost a year since I had my first exposure to it out at the Romeo Proving Grounds. Um, and, you yeah, I was really impressed with it back then. But kind of give me the – the what was the overall guiding philosophy in creating this vehicle? Because you've – Ford has taken a very different approach with this than your chief competitor, GM, has done with their upcoming Silver Auto EV. Um what, what was the guiding principle with this vehicle? So the first thing we did within
4: two weeks of starting a project, we said to ourselves, um, actually, do we know who wants an electric truck and why? And we asked ourselves that question, do we know? And, and when we, as we were working then in Team Edison, everything was done as a team. We said, actually, we don't really know. No one's done this before. Let's not assume... Or use some out-of-date surveys where the context name may not right. It's going to speak to people. So within two weeks, we went out. And I, and I said, let's go to the toughest place we can think of that's currently highly relevant, um, which was Texas. And, um, and we also said, let's go to California because we're likely to find the, the front edge there of uptake as well. So let's go to the two places. And we went there with, we made cardboard models. We made... Specification sheets. In fact, we actually made a brochure. Model, models, of the vehicle. Not, or models of some of the features, like oh, okay. the front, and um, uh, specifications of the vehicle, like it would be a a catalogue you would get. And we hadn't designed the thing yet, so we knew roughly what we could do, and we were testing what what is important for people. So we took that out, and then we really took people for a human centered design style. Experience because you don't just ask somebody, hey, do you want... But then we explored other features, because we'd already known from our prior research for the other electrics that it's the other elements that bring in. So when an iPhone launched, it was capacitive screen technology that made a new experience, but it was when you put that together with what the product was that made it game-changing. So we said, that could be the same. So what can it do? And so it can have a big frunk. It can do bidirectional power. And we were exploring those elements. And again, don't, hey, here's a design, what do you think? You start with what do people do and what are their prob- you know, issues, and you look for where they're using workarounds. This is what human-centered design does. So we actually made models of the frunk, and we asked them, what would you do with this? And that's when we saw some of the magic. So we saw people coming up with what they would do with these frunks, as long as it had power and could carry the weight. And then we saw what they would do with bi-directional. So we saw they were getting very excited about this. And and there was the work side, which you would think would be one of the top things, being a truck. And then there was the social side. It was much stronger on the social, what they're going to do with it at home this front gating because we could see it was going to be a thing or putting their precious things in there or the guy putting his golf clubs in somebody else putting their you know, some kind of precious things they have or the guy was a woodworking but very uh, ornate and he would put precious tools in there and things and so it was someone's own space with power that was theirs locked away and safe and we saw that early on so that plus the bi-directional we could see there was something special there. And they became things that the truck does that no other product does. And in the end, we have learned that with Mackie as well. The ones that are that you can only do now with these products, they're the strongest things. Now, when I ask customers, every time I meet customers, I'm at 175 in an afternoon in Palo Alto. We arranged it. It was going to be for an hour. Well, four and a half hours later, we're still there. Sunburnt. And um, and they were all talking about bi-directional power, pro power on board, and uh, the mega power front. All of them.
0: Was this more recently this
4: meeting? Yeah, yeah, it was maybe three months ago. Okay. And uh, I said, let's meet some customers while we're there, and we arranged that. And and somebody said, and you know, I said, hey, let's just go on social media and ask for the customers. Someone said, hold on, Darren, and they looked at it and said, there's ten thousand people in in a 10-mile you know, radius that we can't put out, so <laughs> you yeah. could have a stampede. So we used the dealers to uh, I'd co- contact some of the customers. And These are the uh, customers that had pre-ordered uh, or pre-registered. Reservationists, yeah. yeah. So they went out for like one hour, and they went, oh, stop! Because we were at 200 okay. customers in an hour. We had stopped, so we stopped because uh, we don't want too many people in one place in COVID and so on, and then we hosted them outdoors we brought we were there for other reasons, and we brought the truck and said let's just do it. one hour, quick meeting we said, four hours later the team were rushing around getting people drinks and things and getting that into there because they just wouldn't go home and they were chatting and the funniest thing I I just remember from the whole thing we were out there much longer than expected I got a bit sunburned so did Jason and just as they were loading the truck the only time they left is when we loaded the truck to take it away and as one of them loaded I heard one of the people say look at it it's beautiful isn't it (laughs) I thought, wow that's really cool and and they they arrived uh, they weren't it, they weren't i don't know what I expected people to be they weren't exactly what I expected they were all people from all walks of life and you know they all had different uses for the truck and but it was using the new things we put into it and I, and then that's how I realized you know, I saw there you know this thing's gonna have wide appeal you know from and that whole price range which all all 150s 50s have from low. 30s, up to 90s. It has appeal across the board. So, it was very exciting to me, to see with customers.
0: I'm curious, do you know if, if any of those people were people who had also uh, previously reserved something like the Cybertruck?
4: Yeah, so um, I would say half to a third arrived in the Tesla. Okay. And um, that was Palo Alto, so it's a particular area, right? Sure. And, yeah.
0: and Te- and Teslas are like Toyota Camrys in, in yeah. Palo Alto.
4: And, so they, yeah, and, and, um, and they were talking about, you know, they were like, well, I, I was asking, what are you going to use it for? And, and a lot of them were, <coughs> I, I, need, I want a truck, i use a truck, and I would like to go electric, right? And I just didn't have an option before, so I, I need a truck, I need to do stuff. And they had other cars, like Tesla or others, and they used them, and that's great, but they needed a truck to do stuff. Mm -hmm. And you ask them, like what? Well, like, you know, we always do doing things around the home, picking stuff up, you know, pulling stuff, whatever I need to, you know. And that versatility is what these trucks are all about, you know. Mm -hmm. I, um, I can do anything I want they need to do it so a lot of them were they wanted a truck some had reserved others because they just wanted an electric truck mm-hmm. which one's going to come first because they really want one they're all in, all into electric and they want to get out of gas of course a lot, some of them own an F-150 because it's the best selling truck So, but not, not as many as you'd think um, it, the electric was a gateway into a new product type for them um, so they saw lots of that um, and how they're going to use it and a lot of use of the frunk a lot of use of bi-directional, especially there combined with solar. Um, a lot of use of pro-power on board to power things or go camping or whatever. And and the bed for, for whatever they need to do with it and the payload. So they, they, they want to just do whatever they need and being able to tow.
0: Yeah. Um, Towing is an interesting use case with uh, EVs because obviously they have tons of torque. You know, so the ability to tow is... Not an issue, I think, for for at least for an electric truck, I mean, as long as the the vehicle structure accommodates it. Um, but um, one of the the challenges with towing with an EV is the the loss of range. And um, you know, I know in the past, like when when Tesla first introduced the Model X, you know, Dan Edmonds, who was at Edmonds at the time, he did a bunch of tests towing a trailer with the Model X, and, and there have been other other. EV trailer towing tests you know generally you know it's like 40 to 50 percent reduction in range um how how have, have you addressed that problem of maximizing not just the ability to tow but how far you can tow and and being able to charge when you've got a trailer hooked up and things like that yeah so um a lot of F-150 reservationists
4: all F-150 drivers, they want the ability to tow. I mean, they want the
0: ability to do whatever they want, whenever they want. That's yeah. the versatility. So if yeah, you ask I mean, them Living in Michigan, you go up I-75 or US-23 on any weekend, <laughs> year-round. You, got, you see trucks towing snowmobiles and jet skis and boats. And yeah, if
4: coals. you ask pretty much any F-150 Intender, mm-hmm. Do you need to tow? The answer is yes. How often do you? you get varying answers? But they want to be able to do it. So we said um, we want to make sure that everybody who would, most will be towing for the first time on electric. Uh, what I mean is it will be the first electric vehicle they've towed with. We need to make sure they're covered. What cannot happen is that they set up, set off, they get halfway to their charger, and it says you're not going to make it reroute. This is not what we want to happen. So we spent a lot of time to develop solutions that mean that won't happen. So um, our goal as a team I said, I want that when you hook your new trailer and um, before you leave on the journey, I want the accuracy to be better than 10%. And and you're a long-time EV user. You know most EVs are not within 10%. And I want it to be within 10% with a trailer on it. And I asked them, I need solutions that do that. So this truck has uh, a solution where you hook the trailer to the tr- truck. By the way, it helps you set the tongue weight mm-hmm. using its weighing scale. Right. Then it's, the truck says, hey, I recommend you validate this trailer. What's validate? Drive 10 miles. So you drive off, you drive 10 miles, and it, and it measures the
0: trailer. Can you believe that? And then adjusts its knowledge about that trailer. So it's measuring things like, you know, how much how much power is it taking to go this speed? Yes. What's the drag? Uh, every
4: is different. Some sure. have got different brakes that drag in different ways. So it measures the trailer, and then stores that trailer under a certain name, and and then it knows about the trailer. Now, you, so if you've got a brand new trailer, it says hook, and it tells you, please validate this trailer. There's a tick box. When you do it, it goes tick. Validating mm-hmm. now. That's a good one. So now, when you say I want to go on a journey six hundred miles, it uses that trailer. It knows it's connected, and it uses that trailer. And so it will now adjust the range depending on what it is. It was, you know, every trailer is different. This is the trouble. They have different drag, weight, height. When they're not above the height of the cabin, that's good. It's better it's aerodynamics that gets you with trailers, not the weight because we'll use the weight of the trailer in the overrun to charge the vehicle so it, the trailers are pretty good at because you pull this extra weight when you go downhill they're going to push the truck and it uses that for regen. but high speed it's aerodynamics that get you so um, we wanted to make sure you are covering people so they know what they get so the vehicle will adapt and it will change the available range. when you enter in where you want to go it will take that into account and it will get you safely to the charge stations so you know by now last time we spoke um, there was however many charge stations now we what's it charge stations this week 72,000 yeah 70,000 so we're, we're now 70,000 yeah it's going up like crazy now because there's a lot of investment from other third parties and as you know we chose to do that so so it's now 70000 so it's going to route you between them the truck you may notice now has new categories so it actually has a 50 kilowatt it has AC we'll be using that in the journey it has 50 kilowatt, 100 and over 100 now
0: Oh, when you're, when you're looking for, for yeah. chargers. So, right you can say, uh, so you can say, ah, I only want 150,
4: right? Yeah. You only want, and you can press that now. The, the Amaki hasn't got that on yet. Uh-huh. You can imagine we might roll that out, right? So, but. Can the, you talk about the
3: dual
4: level of chargers as well? Yes, uh, yes. So, so you'll see the little faster and faster charging streaks so you, you can choose the best now if you select a journey it's going to choose the best for you anyway right and and depending on your charging so yes it will reduce charging at some amount right I mean it depends on your trailer but you know a lowish trailer with motorbikes on it's going to be quite reasonable it can be 30% more right but a, a big one you know, big one's going to take and take you forty or fifty percent.
0: Yeah, I mean, exactly so, so the same as gas, of course. So something like the typical snowmobile trailer we see in Michigan all winter long. Yeah. You yeah, know, that's relatively low. It's got a sloped front. Uh, how much? How much do you think that would generally uh, reduce? Yeah, maybe
4: 25 It's going to be. Yeah, I'm not going to. I don't want to give you a number because I know that each one's got different brake drag yeah. and all that, and that's why it measures. Because otherwise, okay. you say a number, people wonder why they don't get it. It's because. Is it, has it got electric or hydraulic brakes and all those and people might not have optimized their trailers yet for electric right yeah. over time they can do that so but it'll be quite a reasonable drop for these and then it's you know up to a lot you know if it's a really heavy thing with a big square box and you drive at seventy five it's going to drop like a gas exactly the same as a gas sure but a gas i know you just pull mm-hmm. it in the truck a lot right? easier to yeah. so it. so but the truck will tell you and that's what's super important because people have no experience yet. Huh. Very few people, and and it's got you covered. So it's going to get you between stations. So, but you know there is an effect. But you can do what you want. And uh, you said earlier, they're quite good at towing. I mean, they're exceptionally good. So I, I I would do sixty miles an hour and accelerate with a nine thousand pound trailer and gas, yeah. and it slowly gains. You do that in an F-150 Lightning, and it goes like stink. Yes, it uses yeah, power. only have 780 foot-pounds of oh, torque. It's, you know. it's effortless, right? <laughs> yeah. But it uses the power, same as gas does. So, you know, um, that's a fact of life with, you know, with electric, right? Yeah. And and the other part, people, and you mentioned, people want drive-through charging so they can charge it with a trailer. Well, the, the big electric charging companies know this. But there's been no one to use them yet, uh-huh. right? Well, now, all of a sudden, there's going to be 150,000-plus of these things a year coming through. You know, they're in business. They know where the money is going to come from, right? Yeah. So they, And they know you're going to use the power. So they'll start to put them in. They're already talking about it. They know people want charging stations with nice facilities, well-lit, safe, and drive-through, at least some drive-through. Right. So they know that. They're going to put in what people want because then they get more money, they generate more money, right? So we, we know that. We're talking to them about it. We're actually also mapping the country and saying to ourselves, if you assume 230 miles of driving or something, where are the black spots in the country? And then we, when we find them, we've seen it already, we talk to the company say, are you putting something there? Who's putting something there? And where we're going to find that someone's not, and you ask them, and it's probably economics, we're going to get into why, how can we support putting something there? Because if we can map the country with no more than 230 miles between any, uh, roughly, Uh between any charger, you can go anywhere. Uh Okay, so that's, we're working on that as well. Matt Stover's team is doing that and cross-referencing with the charger companies, because if they're already putting something in there, then we're fine, right? But there's bound to be some that are not, and one way or another, we can support to get that done. Maybe we club together with somebody else or another car company. It doesn't matter because we all want this, right? Yeah. So we're getting into that now. Now that we're getting through launch, we're getting into that as well.
0: Yeah. Um, last fall at the, the Mach EGT drive, uh, we talked at that time, and, and you told me about the, the Charge Angels program. Yes. Which uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was at my local EA station down the road from my house, and that I pulled in, there was one of the machis oh, from the charge angel team there testing. Yeah, Fantastic. Um, which area uh, in Ypsilanti.
3: Oh wow, yeah.
0: <laughs> that's cool. Um, and uh, so they they were there, and I, I chatted with uh, with them for oh, a couple of minutes. You know, and uh, so they were going through testing each one of the six chargers there. One one of which was. Not fun, non-functional at the time. It was excellent. It had been non-functional for several days because I'd been there a couple of days before that, and they were aware of that and were logging that. How's that program going? Is, do you, does it feel like it's having any impact on your charging network providers? So uh, it was a fascinating one because
4: we got them ready, uh-huh. we got them kitted out, we sent them out. They started doing it. We got data immediately. Of course, if it's network related they can immediately connect to the network do you know mm-hmm. are you fixing it because they're going to fix it ultimately so they, if they know and they're fixing it, that's good news but we found a load they're like we don't see any problem and um, our guys we like, oh we need better network analytics to fix this and we're like we haven't got the data we want to fix it so you're talking about the charging network yeah well we're charging it and it doesn't work yeah and we're like right now we've got data analytics get it back to the office right what's going on find out we don't have enough data to be to to know what's going on it you it's a lot of the protocols are not clear enough and is it is it the car is it the charger and you could you you could spend a long time trying to work it out so they actually said well we got the wrong equipment we need different equipment which has network analytics on it it's like this is completely different equipment really expensive really rare and we had to we had to um, order it and of course covid they can't yeah, get getting it. So it took us a while to get it, and then we upgraded all the cars. So they're really unique. Mm-hmm. And they can now look at all the signals going backwards and forwards. Now when we get the data, what's going on? We can analyse it and find out where. And if we have a discussion with a provider, they're pretty helpful. They go, it's, it's us, it's you. It's like, no, that's exactly what's happening here. Yeah. And we've had times where they say, well, that's technically the car. And we say, well, who can move fastest? Can you t- tweak, or we can tweak, who can do it quickest? Mm-hmm. And, who, and we help each other whoever can treat quickest does it if, if we know it's not going to affect any other cars mm-hmm. so it's more about learning because the problems are never unique yeah. it's more about learning hey there's this problem out there can we detect it are we seeing now we know it's there can you po- poll the cars and find oh look it's happening in lots of places what's the fix then you get the fix then you roll it out to either the network or the car so they don't have to go every charger in the country to find it they just keep every unique issue they find what is it, why, and then you fix it, and it will fix it for the whole network. So I've seen a huge improvement in did not charge. they can't get a charge. Uh-huh. That's gone right down. It's really small now. Um, I, but I still have a section of it charged, but wasn't as clean as we wanted. It wasn't click, walk. Yeah, it was slow, or yeah. it
0: took a couple of tries. Yeah,
4: and then I find a whole load of it was smooth. But an error have got generated and is appearing in my list as troublesome. Turns out it was an error after they unplugged. Oh. So it didn't actually affect their charge. And like ah, that was in our data too. Like, ah, that's not, okay, so different data's not, it's actually not that inconvenient because they charged perfectly. Ah. So we're still figuring that out. But, and that's going down to, and now we set targets for next year to really, really get really reliable. And, and... We've had some networks with uh, faulty systems on them, and you know, and if they're working well with us, great. But at some of them, we found some more bigger issues, and we said, hey, you, you can you either get this out, get this fixed in two in, in like two days, or we're we'll taking you out of the network. And a couple of them like, well, we can't do it; they're not over-the-air updatable. We said, well, we're taking you out of the network. We took every charger out of the network uh-huh. so that people don't get sent there. And then it's amazing how fast they start
0: coming back, right? Given that this is an issue that is going to impact the entire industry, have there been any conversations, you know, doing maybe doing some sort of consortium of all the automakers, you know, to to work together, um, you know, to certainly would be easier to scale. If you did that, yeah
4: you know, I mean yeah, I mean the thing is you 're still at the early stage where all the new cars are coming out right, uh-huh. so you 're going to then mix up all sorts of other issues with the cars with the network, so it, we, we could do more of that, I think maybe a bit later we can do it, but at the moment you 're still in kind of gross areas there 's some networks that are b- a bit old fashioned uh-huh. um, they were there before and they 're not powerful enough, and those. And then there's, you know, we, were, we only launched a car last year. Uh-huh. And we had to, if you were, we were the first plug plug-in charge as well. Had to, it worked pretty good, but there was some issues. So, you know, I, we should do that. Yeah. But at the moment, we're still launching cars like crazy, and everybody is. So you'll see other manufacturers launch their cars into the networks and also have problems, right? And so, yeah, I think there's space for that. We need to do more of that. At the moment, um, we're, we're just getting on with it. And and we, the, the Charge Angel program was, I think, the first of its kind and pretty unique too. Because we just, you should be able to detect it from a distance and just know and then fix it, but you, but it's, you can't. Yeah. Because if the is not working and it's stuck, it's just, it should, but it isn't telling you. But you're in the early days of this charging hardware. The hardware's going to upgrade. Yeah. And I know they're trying to upgrade the hardware, but they're caught up with. Covid chip as well, and they can't get the new chargers to put them in. Some makes are better than others. Yeah.
0: Um, back to the Lightning uh, again uh, before we finish up. Um, you've taken quite a different approach with the design of the Lightning from what GM is doing with the Silverado EV. Uh, you know, they theirs is purpose built, as they say. Um, the Lightning is a, a lot. You know, Everything down below is purpose built for an electric truck, but the top part is is obviously a lot of it is carryover, which has some significant benefits because you know you can leverage your economies of scale. What what would you say you know to people that look at the lighting and say ah it's only 300 miles? Silverado is going to have 400 promising 400 miles. Yeah, you know, and there's diff- there's different compromises there. T- talk about you know what. Why, why Ford did the Lightning the way they did as opposed to taking an approach? Yeah, like so I,
4: I started answering it and I didn't answer it fully actually for you, right? So, so they, we went to customers first yeah. and worked out what they wanted. And, and what they wanted, they wanted an electric truck that can meet their needs, uh, of what they do. They, they wanted bi-directional charging and they, uh, power and they wanted mega power front. Uh-huh. They wanted the bed exactly like today. Do not touch that bed because every accessory we've got matches it. They also wanted payload of the truck today and £10,000 plus towing. This is the list of everything they wanted. Also, new tech and the latest technology in um, hands-free and uh, big screens and connection with all their phones and an in-vehicle office and lighting all round and automatic towing and automatic parking, all those things. The truck has all of those things. It has a payload now of 2,225 I think. Correct? Yeah, 2235 yep. 2, 2, payload. It's a truck. Trucks need to carry stuff. Yeah, 10,000, 10000 thousand pound, pound towing. Pound
0: Oh, I, I know what it is. Yeah, £10,000. It's, 10, it's
4: about £1,000 £1, £1, less than that. Yeah, £10,000 having a spare wheel, very, very important yeah, for very truck cool. driver, and, and the frunk. So I, I would put it to you, the entire bottom of the car that's electric is brand new, mm-hmm. completely brand new. The whole front trunk is brand mm-hmm. new. The carryover piece is B-pillar back, and they yeah. wanted the, the bed to be exactly the same so it can match. And then, because of that scale, we can deliver that at 39.974, and we can deliver it right now. Oh. So that's the approach we took, because it delivers everything they want right now. And we've delivered 320 miles now, and we're going to continuously develop an over-the-air as well oh. for the vehicle. So so, so to do what, the pe- what people needed and... To deliver it right now and at the price they wanted, well, I think we're really delighted with everything we've we've delivered. So that's why we took that approach. The you know the amount of interest we've had and two hundred thousand reservations, and that's before anybody touched one. It seems to have struck a chord with America, and it also means a lot of doubters to electric can see their way into it as well. I think what's going to happen, we'll put them in every dealer. The dealer will call people who bought many trucks from them and say, try it. Some of them will say, hey, I'm not interested in that electric. And they'll say, just come try it. And they'll come down, it won't be scary. They'll try it out and they'll see some of the benefits and and, and then, you know, some of the things they see as faults or problems with electrics, they'll start seeing as, you know, actually I can live with this, right? Because the truth about having an electric, if you have a charger at home, every day is a full tank. Uh And the amount of times you're doing 700 miles in one go is less than daily life. And if you need to, we've got uh, the biggest network in America and you stop for usually 20 minutes you know, every three hours, charge the thing, get a coffee, because you just plug and walk, uh-huh. get a coffee and get back in. Uh, it's going to work for a lot of people's lives. Um, further generations later, we'll do more things. But this vehicle is at, you know right for right now and is first to market by a very long time for most people. But yeah, And don't forget, we're launching right at the beginning with the whole range from 39, not not just top.
0: Yeah, but That's important. You're not, you're not just launching a platinum at
4: 90000 And we're not just retail, it's fleet as well. Yeah. So these things are going to be all over the country in fleets immediately. And as soon as people start using them in fleets, they're going to be addicted. I can tell you that straight away. Because the savings are going to be Amazing.
0: Oh, yeah, I'm sure, you know, for, for a lot of fleet users that, you know, their use case is predominantly local. They're not driving, they're not doing transcontinental trips every day or every week. You know, um, it, this is an ideal vehicle for them, especially yeah. when you compare the price against the gas version. Oh, it's insane. Same thing. And so
4: T- Ted Canis is running Ford Pro for us. Yeah. He was the original of Edison, oh. you know, and he's... Doing everything they need to support their business because if you've got a business and you need 20 trucks, you need to know the charging infrastructure and have it sorted out. So he they acquired Electrify with Murphy to have the solution. So people come to us and say we can give you a fleet of 20 trucks. Look at the price, and by the way, we can also set up your warehouse to charge these things. And they pointed out they talked today. If you get it right, you'll see savings of like half running costs. Uh-huh. But if you get it wrong, there can be more than gas. And so it's really important that you're set up properly, and that's what Ford Pro does. So T- Ted's just started going. He just started selling the tra- e-transit, uh-huh. and we keep finding use cases we never even thought about, and, and the customers are finding them. So one of them, which just went crazy, is the wine industry. I guess it's obvious when you look back, but the wine industry, we we did we joined with Francis Coppler, in his vineyard, and we started showing him what we could do, and we set him up with a full fleet with electric truck and uh, and and, and uh, transit, and he, he just like he just loved it. So immediately he pulled more, and then every all the other wine producers were like, "What are you doing?" And he showed them, and they're like, God, we want some of that. And so we just I can't remember how many wine producers there are in America. Is it thirty thousand or three thousand? It's
0: probably lot. closer to thirty.
4: Yeah, it's a lot. And they're all asking one each other now and saying, why don't we have that, right? He used to have transit vans with diesel underground with a wine vans. Because what other vehicle have you got? Yeah. And diesel you can put underground with stage four, but you don't want it. Mm-hmm. And now it got rid of them all electric. I mean, it's obvious, isn't it? And it's not, they're not even more expensive. Yeah. So they've gone crazy. So that's selling like hotcakes. Um and we're just getting going I mean you know we're just getting going right this is just yeah. the first three
0: well and uh, eTransit's available in a bunch of different configurations in a regular body because kind of ways. customers have to have are we going to see different variants of the lightning as
4: well no not at the moment I mean we some people might prefer single cab or something yeah, they might yeah but this is what's available now and uh, the price is fantastic. Some reason they want a single cab is because it's cheaper, but it's so cheap now. We can do that because we have our own configuration. What about a single motor rear wheel driver? We considered that, and, and that's something we can do. Okay. But we decided as we launched, we want a simple message. So, how does it compare to gas? Yeah, more powerful. How is it off road? Yeah, yeah, the same or better. And and how is it um, hauling? No problem in any condition. If you have a single motor some of those things are a bit less we didn't want the message getting lessened. Uh-huh. We've asked some of them are not as good as gas and it's just cuts, keep it simple we didn't expect 200,000 conversations. <laughs> and that's with, you might say some might prefer rear drive and some might prefer one single cab. Yes,
0: we've still got 200,000. Well I heard, I heard that when you first broke ground on REVC that the the initial plan was for twenty-five thousand a year, We and, then, share it, and numbers, then it went to $40,000 and eighty, and, yeah. and then now one hundred and fifty. Yeah,
4: it went up a lot. Yeah, and, and that's we—you know—we we you know, we, we, well, we knew it would grow over time. That was the plan, but you didn't realize how short no that time one thought, period was going to be. We could sell two hundred thousand this year. Yeah, no one thought that. Even the top in the industry didn't think that. So, um, and and you know, it might—if the product wasn't good enough, it might not have been here. So it seems to have captured people's attention. And half to three-quarters will mention bi-directional power when you call them. And and at least half or more will mention uh, mega power front as the reason they're looking. Yeah,
0: You got uh, enough source of... Ba- is Samsung or uh, SK going to be able to get you enough batteries? Yeah, that was
4: a big deal, right, to get the batteries. And, and our team have achieved that because of the relationship. Hmm. But it, it, it's going, you know... The, Batteries will be the new chip shortage, right? Yeah. So it's really important to have vertical scale, vertical um, integration, and partnerships to get the batteries. Also, the battery providers are going to know they're in short supply. Who are they going to bet on? those they know had a good chance and we use the same batteries you know between the Transit and the uh, Mackie uh-huh. so that you can mix between if one's not successful the other one no. <laughs> turns out both for three times <laughs> but never mind and then you know with, with, the, tr- with the truck here and other things they're going to share so you can if one wasn't successful you can share to the others but I say we're not in that situation at the moment but one day might be right once we put a lot of capacity in we can move between different vehicles if needed so once the Raptor Lightning going to launch uh, well the funny thing is that the, la- the lightning's quicker than any Raptor yeah, ever yeah. <laughs> so yeah um, you know we're not talking about future products as you know but you know um, yeah, we're, we're, we'll, we'll look at what next when you know, one at a time we've, con- we've put a lot of concentration into this one getting it there on time we got we got the uh, okay to buy so we got the mm-hmm. go that's on time completely on time um, for a brand new truck so we're really we're pleased about that and um, put a lot of work into that and, and we don't mean launching a couple of hundred trucks we, we have 2,800 parked ready to go and we didn't even have the okay to sell Yeah. so that's how we launch we get them ready you do final testing and you go like hell that's what's going to happen yeah. now so they'll really start flowing and we've taken the orders in batches to make sure we give people dates uh-huh. and we can deliver to their dates um, we had so much demand on Bronco that it, um, we disappointed a few people on the delivery because some of the options like Sasquatch yeah. Manual. We were like much more than we ever expected them to be. So we learned a lesson and used it for this to make sure we only offer people vehicles they can have and give them dates. So that will
0: open up again um, soon. So we're the next round. We're last question. Were there any important lessons from Maki that you applied? Oh, to? absolutely loads. Absolutely loads.
4: Yeah. So um, the the most important of all which is the obvious, but you know, most important was all. Don't assume a damn thing. go and speak to customers real early. Because whatever you think they're going to say is not what they say. That was the earliest, the the best one we had from anything. We're using it for every single product. So um, the other thing I used was develop it in the Edison team to to be free, to be fast and free and with a cross-functional group. And then go and shop it around our expert teams. So I mentioned earlier we had an excellent truck proposal with no spare wheel, and we said, "Hey, probably be okay with no spare. You can use a, you know, you can use a, uh, a kit, and maybe they're used more around town." And the you know, like, like, big mistake. <laughs> we shot that round uh, truck teams, and they're like, no way, no how, never. And they gave us the stories and all the examples, and it's no good when you're off road asking for AAA. Right? It's, it's no good. It's just don't do it. So we had to redesign again to get the spare wheel in. They helped us, by the way. So we shopped it around the groups, and they showed us. When we did Mustang Mach-E, we shopped it to the regular Mustang team. Uh And they they were like, they told us things we would have forgotten or lost, and said, hey, how about this? They made it better. So we did the same again, and we're going to do it on every truck, Same in the transit team. Uh And now our next car. So shopping it around our own teams who have experience, once we have the basics,
0: really powerful. right. Darren, thank you very much. Thank you. Have a
1: fresca? How old are you? Okay, got it.
0: <laughs> the
1: slurp was awesome. That was like that was like you were on a soda commercial. <laughs>
2: I didn't mm, even fresca. You. <laughs> I got that recorded. Established in 1966.
1: <laughs> when everyone's on the same page, getting things done at work is easy